Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I think now, looking back, we did not fight the enemy. We fought ourselves. And the enemy was in us. The war is over for me now, but it will always be there the rest of my days. As I'm sure Elias will be. Fighting with Barnes for what Ra called possession of my soul. There are times since I felt like a child born of those two fathers. But be that as it may, those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again, to teach to others what we know, and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and meaning to this life. Great scene that was. Charlie Sheen, the end of the movie Platoon, as he leaves in the helicopter, takes a look down, and well, it's just a great movie. Uh, they're all great in that. Uh, you had uh, Tom Bergeron, you had uh, Willem Dafoe, and that was Charlie Sheen. I think a shining moment. You want to do some other good stuff. Wall Street was pretty good, and some other movies, but that was as good as it got for Charlie Sheen. As we celebrate Veterans Day right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC, a whole day of talking to veterans and celebrating the brave men and women that continue to put their lives on the line all over the world so we can enjoy the freedoms we do. And certainly on this program, I... My old friend Bernard and and the guys on the show right now, certainly with John Katsimatidis, the respect for the veterans is uh, as big as it gets. And we've got a couple of guys at the station that are worth mentioning. In fact, my boss, Chad Lopez, is a guy that served for many years, Chad Lopez. And, of course, Greg Kelly is another guy that served. Did Bo Snurdly ever serve in the... Uh, Maybe not. But uh, Chad did and uh, Greg did. And this is a day that um, we we celebrate every year here. John will come on at 7.05, catch Matitis, and kind of kick it off. I think I've got a guest at 6.45 who fought in Vietnam before. But we'll kick it off with John Katsimatidis at 7.05. And, of course, today is the Veterans Day Parade. I will tell you, one of the highlights of the, uh, the old Bernie and Sid show was dating back to 2019, of course, pre-COVID, me, Bernie, and Jill, actually, and I guess Matt Meany, too, uh, although, no, Matt was back in the studio, so it's me, Bernie, and Jill, did our show live that morning from the Veterans Day Parade. Now, of course, the parade didn't start till many hours after our radio show, but we were somewhere in the 40s, just off Fifth Avenue, And uh, we did the show in conjunction that year with the Wounded Warriors, folks. 
and they had people coming by like every 20 minutes. So me and Bernie must have interviewed about, I don't know, 10 people that day. And it was really a, a spectacular, spectacular day. Uh, the uh, program director back then was Dave Labrosi. That was actually his, uh, his idea. And it was a great idea. And we loved it. Me and Bernie really loved that day. And that was, um, like I said, back in uh, 2019. Now, last year, Bernard and I did this show today, Veterans Day from the Intrepid. And a lot of you folks love that. In fact, I've got some really nice pictures of me and Bernie there, which I'll repost again today. And that was a, a special day. So we've had some really great shows, really great shows. Oh, according to Chris Libertini, who, of course, uh, is responsible for the sound of this station, does a tremendous job, all the commercials and a lot of the bits and all that stuff. He claims uh, Chad Lopez, I mentioned Chad. Greg Kelly, I mentioned Greg. Deb Valentine? Deb Valentine served? Yes, apparently, yeah. That's not true. Well, well, why is that not true? (laughs) You're right. Why is that not true? Because she's be, a girl? Well, why would it be said? And well, then I don't you know. immediately think it's not true. Because I don't believe anything Chris says anyway. Oh, that's true. I don't believe him either. Yeah, but he says, and uh, oh, Mike Garcia, that is true. Mike Garcia served. Yes. Now he, yeah, now, now he right. masturbates to Spider-Man, which is weird, but. <laughs> Come on, I don't, don't do that all the time. <laughs> I barely even know Mike Garcia. I'm like uh, imitating his voice. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Those are the four right there, according to Libertini. Uh, Chad Lopez, Greg Kelly, Deb Valentine, and Mike Garcia. I was going to serve, but I've got asthma, so I couldn't do it. Plus, I've got bunions. Well, yeah, we all know that. Yeah. You never even thought once about it. I never even thought once about it. No, You're right. Not even one not time. Even, not, even, not even for one second. Not even. Yeah. No. And don't even think about taking my son either. Forget about it. See, I'm one of those guys that I'm rah, 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 all for the guys that fight, you know. But um, you start talking about my family members, ain't going to happen. That's why I loved, um, what's that fat bastard? He's a Democrat. Um, he made that movie Bowling for Columbine and. Uh, Michael Moore. Yes. So in, um, was it, I guess, what was the Fahrenheit 9 11, I guess, was the one I really I actually liked that movie a little bit. And he he went outside of Congress one day, and he started grabbing all these politicians (laughs) who were all for the Iraq war. And he's like, hey, that's okay. What about sending your son? How do you feel about that? And they're like, well, no, I don't really want to do that. And he's like, well, then why are you okay sending somebody else's son? (laughs) Because that is a pretty good scene with that fat bastard. He made you think. Yeah. He's right about that. But I don't want my son to serve. But, I mean, I I can't tell you how much respect they've got. For the guys and girls that do. I, I mean, but I mean, who doesn't? Let's be honest. I mean, who doesn't respect those? Now, what we do a bad job here is taking care of these folks when they get back. Vietnam especially. Gulf War, not that great either. Did speak to Thomas Sullivan a couple of days ago, who his election is still up in the balance. He may not find out if he won. He's winning until Tuesday. Thomas served in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Kuwait. But we don't do a very good job with that. And then, like you guys, for example, I've noticed this a million times, walking in the street with you guys on the way to lunch, somebody will walk by in, in their uniform, you won't even thank them for their service, which is really not very nice. What do you, what do you mean? Why is, that, why is that an obligation? Do you think they want that? Yes, 100%. You should thank every cop. I mean this. I'm being sincere. I don't walk past a police officer without saying, thank you for your service, I do let that. alone a Marine. I do that. Every day. I believe I you one. do, yes. yes. I believe I've you done, do. I used to do it downtown. I do it here. I believe that. 
Because you're a great American. Justin, these kids, they have no respect for anybody. They don't care. They're all they're all entitled. Huh. Coke snorting <laughs> idiots. This is like a really big blanket statement you're making here. These kids, they're all uh, they're all you where? know hooked hooked on the drugs where? and uh, where you been all your life? Uh, and they're, they're sneaking through the window late at night and they're, they're just degenerates. You listen to listen to rock music and bad mouth in your country. Yeah, you 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 wouldn't last a day in one of them. Well, let me ask bunkers. you something. Let me ask you something, Justin. And you know no one loves you more than me. I mean this. Love but what are you going to do today <laughs> to um, pay homage to these? Brave men and women here on Veterans Day. What are you going to do? Uh, well, pour, I'll pour one out for all of them tonight. That's You're going to sure. pull out? Pour, <laughs> pour one out for them, you know, pour one out. We'll no, pour, we'll what pour does one that out. mean? Pull one out? No, no, pour. Pour one out. You're going to pour one oh, out. Oh, you're going to get drunk. Yeah, pretty okay, much. Okay, but you get drunk every Friday. That, uh, yeah. Right, so, okay, so. So basically he's celebrating America every weekend. Every right. weekend, exactly. What he's so doing. I can make the argument that I'm actually, uh, doing I have more respect for these people than <laughs> no, you do. You're no, not, you're no. not out every Friday night. The, the argument is, is that mm. you're an alcoholic. Oh. Uh, yeah. I used to be out every Friday night just like you, and I went to rehab twice, and uh, the veterans didn't care. So you you're not going to on a serious note you're not going to do anything today. You're not going to go down to the Intrepid. You're not going to go down to the War Memorial, maybe down by Battery Park. You're not going to do anything today to really pay homage other than listen to Sid, my boss, for 4 hours talk to all these heroes. And and you're going to claim that you've done your part at that point. I would argue that being part of this program today, this Veterans Day special, is and being the executive See? producer of this program right. and playing a part and putting it all together, I would think and I would say, I would venture to say that that is yeah. much more of an effort than I would, man, I don't know, right. 90% of America is putting forth today yeah, for their right. veterans. You're probably right. What's your favorite war movie of all time? My favorite war movie of all time. Well, uh, yes, Frank Morano, that, and you got to get like 90 answers. Mm. There's a lot of great war movies. Out Kelly's there. Hero is his favorite, I think. I think that's what he said. I really love Inglorious Bastards. That's a great movie. Yeah. Brad I, Pitt's in that. I love it. Yeah. Um, but that's more of a. Uh, now, what war is that movie about? That's about World War II. Very good. The Holocaust. Yes, specifically. Right. So that's your favorite. Yeah, what was you have a favorite? With... I think that's Kyrie's favorite, too. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you better stop, stop Kyrie. Yeah. You have a favorite war movie? It's Saving Private Ryan. It's, oh, it's hard it to beat that. It, it is hard to beat that. From the first 45 minutes, your head's ready to explode. Well, that, I, I would say... And that's exactly how they landed yes, on Normandy Beach. In Normandy, that, <laughs> that was... That scene is... Oh. And I know you go to Apocalypse Now, but that to, to lose point, the first half hour of that movie is brutal. Yeah, yeah it You're really shaking. is. And that's pretty much as accurate as what I've heard other veterans yeah. say. Dumping them on those on those uh, carriers onto land, guys died before they reached a shore. Yeah, yeah. And, and the water was freezing, yeah. and a lot of the guys were nauseous and throwing up in the boats yeah. before they even got there. Shot then they're getting shot at when they got there. A lot of them drowned because they jumped off the boat because they're afraid they get shot. But that's how they had to drop these guys I know. off on foot. Yeah. It wouldn't happen today like no, that. No, never. I mean, that's never. not how we would. But, I mean, back then, these are the guys that had to sacrifice yeah. so that we could take a foothold where Germany was getting stale. I mean, it's crazy. Crazy. And Tom Hanks, <laughs> I mean, you just can't say enough. There was a time there when you talk about some of the greatest acting in the history of that profession. You know, during those years, he was doing Forrest Gump. Apollo 13. I mean, he started with Big. That was kind of a silly movie. But his performance in Saving Private Ryan was really tremendous. I mean, tremendous. That whole group was great. Tom Sizemore, all those guys. But He's still great. He's Tom Hanks? Captain Phillips, a great movie. Not really. You didn't like him? 
I mean, I just didn't care that much about this story, but... No, it's not a great story, but I mean... Then he spoke to a soccer ball for like three hours. What the hell was that? That was was all weird. weird. (laughs) Wilson! Yeah, that's a weird movie. Castaway? Yeah. The math movies he made, those stupid things with the... The the math movies? The code... Da I don't even know what that is. Oh, the Da, da Vinci, Vinci code. code. The Da Vinci Code. Oh, yeah, yeah I didn't watch those. The, I didn't what, watch those. What was that? He was brilliant in Joe versus the Volcano. Never gets the credit he deserves for that. That was a tremendous film. I, I I'm kidding, think, of course. I don't think you're yeah, being no. serious. It all started with Peter Scolari in a TV show called Bosom Buddies. Buddies. Very good. Very good, <laughs> Tom Hanks. Uh, those are all great films. Platoon was great. Bernie's favorite. You know, Bernie was a guy that liked old movies. So he talked about From Here to Eternity. He would talk about Mr. Roberts. He would talk about, um, who knows, some Clint Eastwood movie. But he loved Full Metal Jacket, Bernie. Loved that. And my argument was that was a great movie the first half when they're actually on Paris Island. Well, Bernie went for a little while. The training. But once the guy shoots himself on the toilet and kills the uh, the drill sergeant. The movie's over. The sucked. The, the actual war yeah, scenes with, right. um, what was his name again? He was also in Vision Quest. Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine. Yeah, the war scene sucked, but the uh, the training part of that movie was oh my God. amazing. Oh yeah, my God. see, my favorite movie is Platoon. I just think, you know, uh, the whole movie, Charlie Sheen, like I said, Tom Berenger, Willem Dafoe, the whole thing was great. But you know, people actually consider Forrest Gump a war movie. I don't think so. Oh, they do. They absolutely do. Lieutenant Dan was uh, Gary Sinise, who played Lieutenant Dan, by the way has dedicated his life, basically, to helping out the vets. Very few actors and people in, in everyday society do more for our vets than Gary Sinise, who played Lieutenant Dan in that movie. But, yeah, people do consider that a war movie. Bubba Gump died in that Vietnam. Yeah, there's some very uh, hard uh, battle scenes, for sure. I know, it's hilarious. When they're trucking through the mud I mean, and, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, totally. You, you'd never think about it like that, but it really was. It was a pretty good war scene in that movie. So anyway, it is Veterans Day. We've got a bunch of guests coming on today, and we'll um, we'll talk to some of these heroes. We've got somebody from Vietnam. Oh, what did, um, what's my friend Travis Mills? He lost his arms and legs. Where did he fight? Afghanistan. Yeah, he's so going to join us. He's one of five, uh, I believe, yeah, one of five uh, soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq to uh, survive a quadruple, you know, a, a quad. Yeah. Quadriplegic sort of scenario, right. I guess. So How he, many years was the Afghanistan war, Justin? Uh, classes in. 20, uh, 18, 13, 21. You want to give me one number or you just want to keep going? <laughs> <laughs> 21, 21, 21, 21. You're close. No, you're close. 20, 19. It actually started in October of 2001. That's what I thought. Right yeah. after 9 11. That's what I'm doing. I'm and going from 9 11 to like. Well, officially, they say the ago. war ended in August of 2021. So you're not all that far off. Not terrible. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Please show all your work, Mr. Ellick, on the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, we, um, we had that dinner last night, me and my beautiful wife, Danielle, with um, the mayor, Eric Adams. And I'll fill you in on that, too. So I put up a picture last night. At the end of the dinner, me, Danielle, and the mayor are walking outside the restaurant. We take a picture together. I'm smiling. Eric is smiling. And, of course, you know, the idiots here, they, they start sending these horrible messages. 
So I just took it down. I, I'm not in the mood for this nonsense. Oh, I was going to look for it. Yes, I took it down. It's down? Okay. It's, no, it's on Facebook, but it's off Instagram. Okay. Facebook people are more normal. Instagram and Twitter, they're idiots. <laughs> really? You can differentiate between all these? Well, sites? you know, here's the thing, folks. <laughs> I didn't like Donald Trump. We know this already. It's an old story. And then I, I watched his presidency evolve, and I changed my mind. Right? So no one has been more critical of the mayor than me, except for Curtis. But that's shtick a lot of it. And Greg Kelly, and that's personal. And Moody Giuliani, that's personal. I was friendly with Eric when he was Brooklyn Borough President. But I was the first, and I got Bernie going too. Bernie was not there. I got him going to jump all over Eric, the mayor, when he wasn't doing a good job. But, you know, when you sit down with a person and they explain to you the daily operations, what you folks don't know, some of the stuff he has to go through to get stuff done and why it becomes impossible when you actually become learned, right? And it's not just emotion. I hate the guy. He sucks. I hate the guy. He sucks. A uh, guy got stabbed in the neck. A girl got. It's easy to just hate him. But when you sit with somebody for two hours and they explain to you just how difficult it is to get things done in this city and in this state, then it's not. It becomes a different ball game. Is all I'm going to say. And for two hours. He answered every question I asked. I brought up every major issue in the city. My wife brought up every education issue in this city, and he explained every one of them. And we had some laughs, and it was a great dinner. And we're going to do it again. And I think I set up a dinner between him and Rudy Giuliani, if, in fact, Rudy accepts. But I'm just telling you, folks, you know, you get you get out there, and I hate this guy, or I love this guy, this blind loyalty, or this blind hate. And a lot of it is because you're completely ignorant, like I am. I admit it. But you sit with somebody, and you find out what's going on, and you start to feel really stupid. So we'll... Um, We'll get back to that story later on in the show. He may even call in at 840 this morning. 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Keep it right here, folks, all day long. Celebrate the courage of our brave men and women on Veterans Day as only we can do it. Thanks to my man, John Katsimatidis, right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's Dolores and the Cranberries. I've been hearing a lot about Lang Insurance. They sell luxury home insurance to high net worth individuals in all 50 states. Call Kevin Lang at Lang Insurance. Call 866-964-4434. He's an expert in reviewing your current coverage to save money, leaving you with your current insurance company or moving you to a less expensive one. Clients rave about his skills. You call, they quote, you save. That's 866-964-4434 or just visit langins.com. On the Red Apple Podcast Network.
So later on today, um, I've been bestowed this great honor by um, a gentleman by the name of Fred Gashore. I'm not even sure that's correct. But he's the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. Their mission is to ensure the appropriate recognition of military service, to assist veterans in obtaining benefits, and to provide service and leadership to our community. It's a big deal. And uh, this guy, Fred, and this chapter for Vietnam Vets is honoring me, which makes no sense. I mean, it's one thing, Monday, for example, I'm getting this award for journalistic integrity, whatever that means, from the Metropolitan Republican Club, which is a really nice honor. And by the way, the second time this year I received an award for journalistic integrity. That I can almost, almost understand because if you agree with my politics, you call that integrity. It's not really, but I get it. But why a Vietnam vet would want to honor me? I have no idea. But he said you are great to veterans, just like you are to the police, just like Bernard was. See, I still mention Bernie all the time. Coming to you live from the Bernie McGurk studio all the time. Um, the show has moved on. The show is doing great, by the way, better than ever. But I still miss him. I still love him. And I mention him at least once every day. And a lot of the things that I am getting recognition for, he was right there with me all these years. All these years. So when this group comes to me and says, hey, Sid, you're the man. We love you. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm more than honored to do it. So at this parade today... They've got this huge float, and then they've got this Jeep, this armored Jeep, and they want me to sit in the Jeep. Oh, that's cool. I know. That is, um, are you kidding? No. You know, it's one thing to sit in a convertible Cadillac, and I love Angelo Vivolo, which I do every year now at the Columbus Day Parade and get on TV with Piscopo, Maria Bartiromo, the whole thing, an honorary Italian the last two years. This is a whole other ball of wax. Oh, my God. I'm coming with you. (laughs) You should. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. When I leave this show today, I have to go straight to Fox News because I'm sitting with Brian Kilmeade on his radio show, which you hear here, by the way, after me every morning, from 1130 to 12. You'll get me and Brian Kilmeade. You're doing that live? Live. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so As you if you haven't had enough me by 10 o'clock, 1130, I'm back on the station for a half hour. Then I leave there at 12, head towards the parade, and that all sounds great until... The sky's open. And right now, I checked my weather app here, and at exactly 1 o'clock this afternoon, the rain chance is 100%. Oh, I guess that means (laughs) it's going to happen. So I don't know if they rain out parades. You know, you play football in the rain, I get that, but you can't really have a parade in the pouring rain. And I'm looking at the weather app, and it looks like it's going to pour for like nine hours. You're going to be in a tank. That's true. But what about everybody else? Yeah, but you just drive by and you wave and you, you show uh, your your support, your patriotism. Yeah, that's a tank. You're never going to get that again. No, I know that, that's, but but I, but the rain it's go it's it's really going to mess this whole thing up, yeah. and it's going to pour all day. There's no relief till tomorrow when temperatures, by the way, drop about twenty degrees. But so that is um, when you talk about put a damper on the parade. You know, wet the parade. That's what we got today with legitimate rain coming in. Oh, boo. I know. 
So I got to talk to this guy, Fred, and see if they're still, you know, doing all this stuff. I don't know the answer. Traffic and sports coming up next. Right now, it's time for the 77 WABC Clip of the Day. On weekends, music is our message at Music Radio 77 WABC. Every Saturday night at 6, Music Radio 77 WABC presents Cousin Brucey's Saturday Night Rock and Roll Party. Part of a great music radio weekend lineup. Kicking off Saturdays at 5 p.m. is my buddy Vinny Madugno. I love this kid. He plays hits of the 60s. Then it's Cousin Brucie. And at 10, knock three times with Saturday night's Tony Orlando. Brought to you by my friends at Goya. But here is the legend, Cousin Brucie. That's cream, Cousins. Nice to hear that again, huh? In a white room with, what, blue curtains, white curtains? What? Maybe maybe by this time they needed some cleaning or something like that. Let's, uh... uh Oh, there you go. It's Sylvester, our time right now. And to remind you, have Thanksgiving. We have uh, Christmas coming up, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa. We have going to be a, a real nice uh, couple months ahead of us. And I hope that we'll all be together. Our request line is open, 800-848-WABC. This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my goodness! Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Sports brought to you by the great Pete Morgan. That's my buddy, Peerless Boilers. Check them out, peerlessboilers.com, paviliontankless.com. They do build America's best boilers. Did I see that the Rangers scored six times in one period yeah, last in night? Yeah, third period last night. They scored wow. six times, yeah. Here is uh, Justin Ellick with the whole deal. Well, thank you, Sydney. Of course, yeah, the Rangers uh, tied 2-2 going into the third, and uh, they were able to snap their three-game skid, uh, winning 8-2, to two, six goals in the third period. In his 700th game as a blue shirt, Mika Zibanejad scored twice, but it was Adam Fox who netted the eventual game winner. Not that it mattered uh, at by the end of the game because it was 8-2, to two, but he did net the eventual game winner in the third before the Rangers would score five additional goals. Here was the call on that Adam Fox. To Perron in front, Rangers stop it. Fox with a good defensive play. Three on two through the neutral zone. Pass for Heedle in deep. In front, Cockle stick lifted by Cock. But they score! Adam Fox! That call courtesy of MSG. With the win, the Rangers do snap their three-game skid, so they'll try and build on it come Saturday in Nashville against the Predators. As for the Devils, they were your other winner on the night. They had a bit of a tougher time, though, securing their two points, needing overtime at home against the Ottawa Senators to secure that win. Nico Heischer, he played the gritty hero, parking himself in front of the net to tip in the winner. Hamilton. Hughes. And Zetterlander, your four. Hamilton shoots! The Devils win it again! Dougie Hamilton sends the win streak to eight games! Do you believe it? How about that? That call courtesy of MSGSN2. The win for the Devs marks eight straight as the hottest team in hockey now holds a three-point lead over the Hurricanes in the Metropolitan Division. They'll try and make it nine straight at home on Saturday against the aforementioned Coyotes. As for the Islanders, they fall at home two to nothing to the air to the to those very Coyotes before they welcome in the Columbus Blue Jackets tomorrow. And on Thursday night football, it's Carolina Panthers kicking off Week Ten with a home victory over their NFC South division rival Atlanta Falcons by a score of twenty-five to fifteen. Locally here in New York, you get the Jets on a bye week while the Giants coming off their bye set to welcome in the Houston Texans Sunday at one p.m. Currently five and a half point favorites. Here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Thanks to Pete uh, Morgan and Peerless Boilers. I'm Justin Ellick on seventy-seven WABC. I want to Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I'm a school teacher.
I teach English composition. This little town called Adley, Pennsylvania. It's a, in the last 11 years, I've been at Thomas Alva Edison High School. I was a coach of the baseball team in the springtime. Back home, and I tell people what I do for a living. And they think, well, that figures. But over here, it's a, a big, big mystery. So I guess I've changed some. Sometimes I wonder if I've changed so much, my wife is even going to recognize me whenever it is I get back to her. And how I'll ever be able to, to tell her about days like today. Uh, Ryan, I don't know anything about Ryan. I don't care. Man means nothing to me. It's just a name. But if, you know, if going to Ramel and finding him so he can go home, if that earns me the right to get back to my wife, well, then, then that's my mission. These mist-covered mountains are old now for me. But my home is the and arms, Mark Knopper, the Hall of Fame band, Dire Straits, and of course that scene right there, Tom Hanks saving Private Ryan. I don't know who Ryan is, but I don't even care. But if I can get him home to his wife, like I can one day get back to mine, then it's all worth it. Then they show like Tom Sizemore, who's like fresh off banging Heidi Fleiss somewhere in Las Vegas. Yeah, that was the previous scene. Yeah. (laughs) Such an amazing movie. Anyway, folks, it is Veterans Day 643 on your Friday morning. Welcome back to the number one rated news talk show in New York City and the self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in America. That's me, Sid. We've got a big day coming up here. We're going to start the, I guess, the Veterans Day show with John Katz and Matidis. I did have a guy that was supposed to come on now, but I can't find him. Fred Gashore, once again, from the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126, are honoring me today at the parade. But I can't find this guy, so maybe he'll call in later. Maybe he won't. I don't know. But we do have John calling in at 7. 7.40, esteemed Mayor Rudy Giuliani. 8.05, Bruce Mosler. Now, this guy, Bruce, if I'm right about this, he works with the Intrepid, right? I believe he does, Bruce. You know, he used to work with the Intrepid is, um, what's his name? Um, Our old friend there from Atlanta, the gay guy, uh, Bill White. Bill White. Yeah, Bill's one of the greats. And then Travis Mills is going to join us today. He's one of only five quadriplegics that survived the Afghanistan war. You know, he's writing a new book. It's unbelievable, too. I, I, I can't. I can't believe what's going on in my life, but this guy, Travis Mills, is a legitimate hero. And he served in Afghanistan, and he's writing a book about resiliency because he came home with no arms, no legs, and all this stuff. 
And he called Jay, uh, Justin, this guy, and he said, I'm writing a book about resiliency, and I want to do a chapter on Sid. <laughs> Lou, I swear to God, I go, what is going on here? What is they're honoring me at the Veterans Day Parade. I'm getting awards. Every Republican club across New York City. I'm having dinner with the mayor. And this guy, this guy <laughs> yeah, yeah. who lost every limb in the war wants to write a chapter about me. How many uh, arms and legs do you have? You, you, I got them all. You got all four. I don't feel like I deserve any of this stuff. I really don't. He definitely had a drinking hand back in the day. That's for certain. <laughs> yeah. I recall that distinctly. Well, I was like, oh, okay, oh, sure. But sure enough, I spoke to his girl yesterday. And they're doing a whole chapter on me. <laughs> a whole chapter? You would yes. think like maybe, maybe like a paragraph a, a or mention. No. a mention. No, the whole chapter. The whole cha- how long is the it's chapter? It's unbelievable. Did she tell you how long the chapter is going to be? I don't know the answer to that, dickface. God. I don't know. <laughs> Colonel Jack Jacobs. Speaking of resiliency, my friend Sid Rosenberg. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I think it's ridiculous, but what am I supposed to do? Say no? So right before I heard the word integrity and Sid Rosenberg in the same in the last segment. You never thought you'd hear that. No, years ago, if you had told me that. 20 years ago when you were uh, taking me out of an alley somewhere (laughs) after 19 Jägermeister shots at Blondie's (laughs) on the Upper West Side, which is what we did. Oh, he's here. Okay, this is uh, Fred, and I, I know I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, so I apologize. Fred Geisher, he is the president of Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. And through my friend Chris Lenzo, who, of course, runs things at the Metropolitan Republican Club, the club that's giving me an award on Monday night, she got uh, Fred to get in contact with me. And I'm going to see Fred later on this morning. Fred, thank you for your service, buddy. Happy Veterans Day. Uh, thank you very much, Sid, and good morning to you. Well, thank you. Now, how do you say your last name? Gazer. Gazer, that's Gazer. what I thought. Okay. Yep. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, this group of yours, Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126, and you know how many years you were there, where you were, were you even in Saigon when it ended? Give me the, give me the whole Fred history with Vietnam and the chapter. Fantastic. Well, well Sid, I'm with the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. Vietnam Veterans of America was formed in 1983 uh, from veterans coming back from Vietnam that, very honestly, we weren't uh, welcomed back into this country. Uh, It was an organization that was formed as a, well, as as a club, so to speak, of veterans, because, once again, veterans trust veterans. Myself today, I feel fantastic when I'm out with my veterans. Today, is to me, is like a... Absolutely wonderful day. If I went to look at my adrenaline levels, it's probably at 999% because uh, the be with veterans is is my high point. Anyhow, Chapter 126 was formed uh, shortly thereafter in 1985. We're, we're in Manhattan. Myself, I've been with the chapter for well, about 12 years at this particular point. We, we look right now to support veterans veterans of all decades, the veterans of yesterday, the veterans of today, and the veterans of tomorrow to come. Veterans have to stand up for their rights because if we don't, we're going to lose them. Our government goes in and out in supporting rights, in supporting veterans' rights, in supporting uh, VA and VA benefits. Today, very fortunate for the veterans of today, our government is doing the right thing. I was going to ask you that because you never want to make this stuff political. 
But, uh, you know, right. the folks that I speak to, again, very anecdotal, I admit it, Fred, uh, they seem to relate to me that the Republicans, like a guy like Trump, for example, uh, do a much better job of supporting veterans than the Democrats. But you're telling me that's not really true because you think right now this administration does a very good job with you guys, the VA, all those groups? Well, I wouldn't go that far. Right. Uh, what, what, I, what I am saying is that the VA in general is doing a fantastic job. Okay. What this administration is doing, I probably should not comment on the radio about that. <laughs> okay, uh, great. Uh, we, we, we agree there then. That's great. And, you know, Fred, yeah, you absolutely. talk about how you guys weren't welcome back. And I was a little kid. I was born in 1967, and obviously the Vietnam War ended in 1975. I was eight. But I've got two older sisters, and they were hippies, my, my sister Alana in New Paul's, and she went, she went to Woodstock, and she's out there railing against all these, the war and all that stuff. So I, 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 have, I have very, very uh, short memories about all of it. But I know, of course, what it meant historically. And you talked about how you weren't welcome back when you came back to the United States. How disappointing was that? Uh, it was tremendously disappointing. You know, when I, I, I went to Vietnam shortly after you were born, by the way, uh, wow. in, in, 19, in 1968. And I was in Vietnam in 1968 and 1969. When I came back to, uh, from, from Vietnam, I flew into uh, Tacoma, Washington. I was told to change out of my uniform to fly back to uh, New York, New Jersey. Not in my uniform. Uh, I felt uh, I, I don't even know if I could express my feelings. The fact that here I had just returned from a war zone, I had just returned uh, from uh, fighting in a war, and now someone is telling me the uniform that I am very, very proud of. And I think you'll talk to anyone that has been in the military service, they will tell you they're proud of their uniform. Uh, and I was told I had to take it off because uh, you don't know what's going to happen with the populace on the outside. Who's going to throw eggs at you? Who's going to throw this at you? Jeez. Who's going to sow, you know, different remarks and what have you? Uh, it's extremely disheartening. And it went on and on and on and on for years. Uh, and it really did not stop. And I, I don't know if I stop is the right word, but it really did not really go down into a lower point of uh, the start to recognize veterans until really um, – Probably about 1985. Wow. Uh, when, yeah. when the uh, uh, yeah 1985 when we when we look at the first welcome home parade uh, uh, in New York City, by the way, uh, Mayor Koch um, uh, had that. Uh, so when it it was very disheartening. You know, I had a story today. I just want to read a story. I just came back from Washington D.C. tonight at 11 o'clock, and I was three days in Washington at Veterans Affairs and with the National Board of Directors for the Vietnam Veterans of America. And there is a general, I forgot his name now, Lieutenant General, who's in charge of the 50th anniversary of the of commemoration uh, for Vietnam. And what that means is that there, there's a 50th, an, 50th uh, anniversary pin, uh, commemoration, I should say anniversary, but commemoration pin, that uh, he is pinning on Vietnam veterans. A remark that he made to me yesterday in speaking, he says, there are veterans that we are talking to and we're trying to get to all the veterans of the Vietnam veteran era. He says, but there are veterans that have never heard the word welcome home. Wow. That is terrible. Said, just terrible. Yeah. You know, when the Iraq war started, there were a lot of people, my, my old partner, Bernard, God rest his soul, 
they they were against it. They were like, "This is this is wrong. This is not what they should do." And you started to wonder about some of the kids that went and fought in Iraq, for example, if they knew, if they really knew that the policy was wrong. But you know, listen, they signed up for the service, and this is where they were sent, and they just did what they were basically told to do. You guys feel that way on the way to Vietnam? Are you like, why are we even fighting this war? Or are you basically, hey, I signed up. This is my country. We're going to kick ass. Uh, I don't think anyone that was was going over questioned the war at that particular point in time. Uh, myself, I volunteered to go to Vietnam. I did not have to go. Uh, and Vietnam, what a lot of people don't understand is, no, oh, I think we lost him. Oh, there he is, Ken. If you hear me again, yeah. Yes. Go, I'm, uh, if you take seven out of ten men in Vietnam, seven out of ten were actually volunteers that volunteered to go to Vietnam. Thirty yeah. percent were draftees. The remaining part were volunteers. So you would have uh, hated my sister because uh, she was, like, yelling and screaming at you guys for fighting that war and all that stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, out well, there smoking weed, listening to, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and uh, what's wrong with these guys going to fight that war? So, I, I mean, like, you, you look at these college campuses back then, they had to make you nauseous. They did, actually did. But, you know, something, this is what this is what was totally wrong, and this is what it took so long for the populace of this country to understand, is that it wasn't our fault of the war. We did not start the war. Our politicians started the war. Right. Our politicians got involved. If you wanted to protest someone, protest about, about the uh, politicians, not the men and women who are standing on the ramparts getting shot at. Right. Made no sense. You know, like, well. you know, it, 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 made, it made no sense at all. Yep. Uh, and if there was one thing that really did aggravate me, if there was a thing to aggravate me in point, is that here we had what I consider gutless politicians sending us, the young men, to fight their war. Oh, no question about it. Well, listen, Fred, this is a great work you're doing today. Many years after you came home from Vietnam, it, he is, of course, the president of Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. And I'm honored to uh, be with Fred and his group later on this afternoon at the Veterans Day Parade. I have no idea why he chose me, but I'm honored. I really am, and I look forward to it. So thank you for hopping on this morning. You're actually really good, Fred, and I look forward to seeing you in about five hours. Thank you so much. Fantastic. We look forward to seeing you bring your raincoat. Okay, you got it. There he is, folks. Once again, Fred Gazer. He is the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. And that is the group I will be with later on today at the Veterans Day Parade. We will officially kick things off with the man that owns this station, does two great shows on this station, weekday afternoons and Sunday mornings, and a guy that really is in tune with New York City and respects all people, especially the veterans. And that's my friend John Katsimatidis. Hope you enjoyed our number one, our number two of the morning show on Talk Radio 77 WABC. About to come your way. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice.
Hey, Bill O'Reilly here, and you are listening to Bernie and Sid. God help you. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, I told that John McCain story a couple of days ago, and um, Lewis's uh, girlfriend MJ is still laughing about it. I didn't know they broke every one of his bones in his hand when he was a POW in, in uh, Vietnam. So he spilled his coffee every time, and I would go to Imus, why does this dumb bastard spill his coffee every time? It was John McCain, who he and I became really, really good friends. In fact, I told you this before, at the 2004 Republican National Convention, which turned into a very embarrassing time for me. I was suspended from work. I never showed up. It was a disaster. I went out that night. I started at my cousin Norm Coleman's party at a cigar bar on the Upper East Side. And then I went to Saxby Chambliss's party. Then I went to John and Cindy McCain's party at Cipriani's. I'm drinking Jägermeister shots with John and Cindy. And then I went to the Hustler Club and never got to work the next day. But um, uh, McCain, I think, used this song. And John Cougar Mellencamp... Got all pissed off because he's a liberal. And McCain ran on the Republican ticket, of course, against Barack Obama. I never heard that. Yeah. That's, and, that's a and, little and crazy. And John Kruger was like, hey, do me a favor. Don't use my song. Well, that happens all the time. You know that. I know, but the guy went and served. I know. Well, he Kruger, was a, no. Kruger he was a Republican. He this, didn't care. This country is yeah. nuts, man. And, of course, his that's... VP choice is my, my dear friend Sarah Palin, who was on this show just a couple of days ago with Ron Duguay and... Actually, Sarah is going to do a uh, Cindy Adams show this weekend. That's going to be great, Cindy Adams, who I love dearly, with my friend Sarah Palin coming up on Sunday. But, yeah, that, I believe that's true. Don't don't uh, write it down that John Cougar complained and uh, John McCain had to stop using that, that song. Okay, so where did you get the story from? Well, I remember it was just back then. I, mean, I remember the story being a, a big deal, but I'm not a— thousand percent sure i'm like 99.99 percent sure but i could probably give you five or six examples of folks who use songs where the people got pissed oh, off definite yeah. of course no yeah. of course i mean springsteen probably has gotten mad. yeah springsteen so i'm waiting on uh, john katz and matitis to officially kick off even though we just had fred on from vietnam vets so i did have this dinner last night me and my beautiful wife danielle with mayor eric adams and uh, it went well that's all you need to know. Don't worry about it. Okay, fine. I know you hate him, and he's stupid because you're stupid. Because, you know, no one's more critical of the guy than I am. But, you know, I'm the first to admit this. I did the same thing with Donald Trump. I eventually came around. And I'm not saying I've come around on Eric. I'm, I'm telling you that it is still it is still a rough go. And I have not come around 
But I'm giving the guy the opportunity because I live in this city. I have a child in this city. And I want the city to do well. And when the mayor is willing to take out two hours of his time to sit with me, some dopey radio host, and answer all my questions about the city, including crime, and my wife's questions about education, and is man enough and kind enough to do it with a couple of laughs, I'm not going to say no. Now, I will say this. If Kathy Hochul offered me the same thing, I wouldn't do it. I would not do it. Because don't forget, years ago, I was friendly, and Bernard, and Bernard, we were friendly with Eric Adams when he was Brooklyn Borough President. So there was goodwill there already. Now, it evaporated once he became mayor. I understand that. But I, there was a friendship there before. I've never liked Kathy Hochul. So I would say no to that. I would say no to Joe Biden. I would say no to a bunch of folks. But I didn't say no to Eric, and I'm glad I didn't. So we'll have more details on that. What I'm trying to do here, and John Gambling did this, I know, and others, is get him on every week and maybe have you folks speak to him. And maybe he could explain to you some of the things that you don't like, specifically crime. Maybe he could explain to you, like he did to me last night, why a lot of it is difficult. And it's not as easy as, as me and Bernie have been saying for months, name and shame. Yell at Heasty. Yell at Stuart Cousins. We've been saying that for months. I started that nonsense. Not that easy. When he explains to you why, if you're willing to listen. See, that's the problem. On both sides, and I'm not a liberal, cut it out, okay? Ask Lee Zeldin if I'm a liberal. Ask Pete King. Ask every Republican candidate in this city. I am a Republican. I'm not a liberal, but I'm not closed-minded. And I refuse to be ignorant. And if you're willing to listen, you may find out maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. But you got to be willing to listen. And most of you, even my own listeners, my own fans out here, you're not willing to listen. You're set in your ways, and that's it. That's it. Done. Trump is the greatest president ever, and I love Donald Trump. And he can do no wrong. Eric Adams is a loser. He can do no right. And that's no way to be. Things evolve. Situations change. People change. Sometimes they don't. I did. I was a loser most of my life. A loser. And now I own this city. I'm the king of New York. And if that sounds arrogant and brash, tough. It's a fact. People do change. Things evolve. Situations change. But you got to be willing to listen. And I sat there last night and I listened. And there were a couple things he said to me that I couldn't argue. But I'd rather him say it to you guys than me because me, you just go, oh, we, we always said it, man. I miss Bernie. Sid's a liberal. I'm not, thinking, I'm not even close to a liberal. But I'm an adult. So I listened. And uh, I'm going to have him come on and explain to you at some point, why some of the things that I want done, that Bernie wanted done, that you want done, not that easy. And it's not as easy as blasting Heasty and Stewart Cousins in public. Because don't forget, folks, although crime is the biggest issue in this city, no one's going to argue that. It's not the only issue. And Adams needs money from Albany for a lot of other stuff, including education. 
and blowing these people out of the water, you ain't going to get it. So he's got to walk a tightrope and try to figure out how to make things better in this city without completely losing those folks in Albany. It's not easy. Anyway, uh, this is another great day at WABC. We've got so many of them, so many of them. This is one of my favorites. And the man, the brainchild behind all these days, also the great host of Cats at Night, 5 p.m. every weeknight, Cats Roundtable, 8 a.m. every Sunday, is my dear friend John Katsimatidis. John, good morning. Another huge day here at WABC. Well, it's another huge day because uh, we put our arms around our veterans today. And, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, with all the things that we went through, with, all, uh, with everything uh, we talked about, we're still losing 20 veterans a day to suicide. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I got tears in my eyes when we talk like that. And um, we have to help these people. And um, uh, when you see, uh, you know, uh, some of them have uh, uh, problems, and um, we don't have enough uh, hospitals to put these people in. And um, it's so sad. I mean, uh, these people did a great job for us. These, you know, our our soldiers. uh, we would not be here today in a free United States of America if it wasn't for all our veterans. And uh, I don't know, how do you feel? Uh, no, I feel the same way. Now, look, John, I'm too young to remember Vietnam, for example. I was born in 1967. Uh, certainly the Iraq War, the Afghanistan War, the Gulf War, uh, I've been around for those. And I'm always... I'm always taken aback, if not shocked and surprised, at how shabbily these people are treated when they come home. I I just, especially Vietnam, I mean, you're older than me, John, so you saw what those people went through. How does that happen? How does that happen? Uh, I I look back, and we lost 50,000 kids in Vietnam. Jeez. And some of the stupid things that was done by our military and, and uh, you know, I, I had a couple, I had a cousin uh, that uh, died, uh, died there. And, uh, and uh, it's just Sorry. very, very sad. And, you know, yeah. it's, 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 the fact is, uh, you know, uh, a, a general decided we got to take that mountain. So he'd send a whole, uh, uh, company of men up there to take that mountain. Take that mountain for what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you scratch your head. I mean, I, I think the world has changed. Uh, we can't fight guerrilla wars like that. We're not equipped to do that. Well, let's hope so. I mean, right now there's a war, of course, going on between uh, Russia and the Ukraine, and we've done a pretty good job outside of providing weapons of staying away from that. And the last president spoke specifically when he ran about not being one of those guys that wanted to fight wars all over the world. And we know that Biden took our troops out of Afghanistan. It was a horrible execution. We lost 13 people that day. But it does seem like at least the last couple of administrations want nothing to do with fighting wars all over the world, which which is good news. 
You know, the most honest president we ever had uh, was uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, yeah. And you remember what he said? Yeah. Beware, beware of the. Uh, how did it go? I mean, it's early in the morning. I woke up late, and um, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember exactly what he said. To be honest, uh, beware of the military-industrial uh, complex. That uh, uh, some of these people just, uh, uh, it's it, it, um. But uh, let me tell you something. The people that are veterans, it's not their fault that the politicians want to fight wars. Well, you, you know, I just had a guy on, it's funny you would say that, who uh, leads Chapter 126, Vietnam Veterans of America. And he said that he was upset that the college kids, people in the United States, were angry with him and, and his cohorts who were fighting the war. He said, get angry with the politicians. They're the ones who sent us there. We went there ready, willing, and able to defend our country. Why would you be mad at us? If you'd be mad at anybody, be mad at the politicians. So he said, and he fought in Vietnam for three years. So he said exactly, John, what you just said. It's, it's very true. It's the politicians that create the war. And, um, and uh, they take these kids and they send them there and— uh, yeah. Uh, but we have to take care of them, you know. And yep. uh, our vets are very important to me, and uh, we should do whatever is possible to help them. Uh, to have twenty suicides a day too much. is crazy. Too much. That's too much. Yep. That's stupid. Yep. I agree. We're not doing. We're not. We're not doing enough about it. Couldn't agree more. And, uh, and today we we're uh, named uh, one of the, uh, uh, Bruce Mosler is our. Uh, uh, our chairman of WABC Veterans Day today, and uh, he's chairman of Cushman and Wakefield, and they have a whole subdivision that they run to hire vets and to train vets at Cushman and Wakefield. Wow. And I look forward to uh, He's going to be on, I think, at 805. Yes, he is. Now, uh, is, is he also, John, involved with the Intrepid or no? He, him and Ken Fisher. Okay, yes. Our co-chairman of the Intrepid. Uh, and the Fisher family does a, such a phenomenal job. The, yeah, if, if I remember, vets. I, yeah, I spoke to Ken a couple years ago, John. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they actually provide housing all over the country for veterans, right? Yes, they do. Yeah, they provide housing. They provide medical care. They provide. Uh, they take care, and, and the Intrepid uh, is dedicated to that. And I think uh, uh, Bruce uh, is going to be on with you at eight oh five, and. Uh, he's going to create. We're going to have a roundtable discussion this afternoon. Awesome. Uh, with Greg Greg Kelly, uh, and I, I know that Ken Fisher will be there. I will be there. Greg Kelly and uh, Bruce uh, Mosler, um, and uh, to talk about what else we can do to help these veterans. That's awesome. Well, this is a a great day, and uh, you know, you and Margot, all these days that we do recognizing different religions and creeds. In this case heroes here in America. They're really special days, and this is right at the very top of the list. By the way, John, your ears must have been itching last night because your name came up a couple of times during my dinner with Mayor Eric Adams. All, of course, very complimentary, but I will tell you that the dinner went very, very well. So, Well, I'm glad to hear it. Look, uh, uh, Eric has a lot of things on his plate, and uh, 
and uh, when I met one on one with uh, Hoko last week, uh, the week before, uh, you know, that Thursday before, on, on, uh, we had lunch together one on one, and I said to her, instead of um, having twelve hundred. Um, uh, uh, soldiers, uh, police officers uh, on the subway system on overtime. Why don't you do what uh, Peter Valone did, and what, why don't you do what uh, 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 what uh, Rudy? Uh, no, no. Before Dinkins did, they oh. got six thousand. They did six thousand uh, new police officers in nineteen. Whenever it was, 88, 89. And and that's what helped Rudy in addition. Rudy did a great job. But those 6,000 officers were hired under Valone. And Judge Weinberg was Peter Valone's lawyer. That's right. I remember that. That's right. Yes. And he's on with you guys every day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, by the way, how about this? So I I say to the mayor last night, I go, you know. It would really make sense, because he was with Bill Bratton last week. He talks to all these guys. I said, you know, it would really make sense if you sit down with the guy that is, to this day, still the greatest mayor in this city's history, Rudy Giuliani. And his quote was to me and Danielle, Sid, you set it up. You tell me where and when. And I would love to sit with Rudy. Well, that would be good news. Yeah. Rudy's going to join me at 740, so I'm going to pop that on him when he comes up in a couple of minutes. But Well, look, putting, uh, you know it's very important? What I try to teach people, putting people together. I was at a dinner the other night. I'll, go, I'll give you a quickie because I know we're running out of time. Uh, I was at a dinner the other night uh, uh, with Larry Kudlow and, um, uh, and Steve Moore and about 50, 60 people to talk about the aftermath of uh, – uh, of the election. Yeah. And I, I started to talk, and I said, well, I had uh, Anthony Weiner on. And, and I, I, I started to get a couple of hisses. I said, and I turned around to those two ladies that were giving me hisses. You know what I said to them? Go bury your head in the sand. <laughs> because if you, only, you know, if, if you only want to hear one point of view, then, you know, go bury your head in the sand. Because what we stand for at WABC Let's listen to all points of view and let the American people make their own decisions. Yeah, but the point and, is, and, and that's not, you know. but the problem is they have to be able to listen. Like I made the point this morning that when I sat at dinner last night with my beautiful wife, Danielle and Eric, I listened. I let him speak for two hours, basically. And I listened. Most people today, John, they don't want to listen. They've got a preconceived notion of somebody like, look, I, I couldn't stand Donald Trump. Now I love him. You know, I was angry with Eric Adams. Maybe I'll love him. Maybe I won't. But I'm willing to listen. People evolve. Situations change. And most people are not willing to listen. That's the issue. You agree? That, that is, that's a big issue. And, it, it, and it's going to be taught first or at our university, Sid. Yep. Because True. They, they won't allow people to talk at the universities. I mean, they're there to learn. You listen. These kids have to learn that you listen to both sides and you and you digest, yep. and then you make up your mind. Yep. So that's why I sent David to Europe, John. 
<laughs> because in the United States, they don't do that very well. Well, listen, congratulations. Uh, this is going to be a great day. I've got some really good guests, including Bruce, coming on this morning to celebrate these great bets. I don't know if you know, John, but I'm actually being honored by the Vietnam Bets at the parade later on this afternoon. A huge honor for me and the radio station. So congratulations again. I love you. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Don't get rained on. <laughs> I'll try not to. I got a new raincoat, so I'll be okay. Thank you, John. Folks, check John Katsimatidis out every weekday afternoon. He does a great show, Cats at Night. Once again, 5 p.m. weekdays, and he's got a monster show, 8 o'clock every Sunday morning, the Cats Roundtable. Check that out. Rudy Giuliani, Bruce Mosler, a real American hero, Travis Mills, Colonel Jack Jacobs and Gordon Chang on the Korean War. Or still to come, a big, big Veterans Day show with me, Sid, right here on Talk Radio 77, WABC. Bill O'Reilly here, and I'm warming up. Stand by for the O'Reilly Update Morning Edition. On this Friday, call him Joey Houdini. An escape artist par excellence. The president of the United States should have been vividly repudiated in the midterm election, just like his former boss, Barack Obama, was in 2010. Biden's party lost, but small. The red wave was mostly food coloring. With everything going wrong in America, that fictional wave should have drenched the White House. But no. Wednesday, Joey Houdini answered a few press questions as his wife sat 10 feet away. The president looked relaxed, said words, I can't remember them, but something about working with Republicans who he has defined as trying to destroy democracy. Anyway, Joe Biden has no idea why he wasn't hammered by voter unhappiness. He's just thrilled to live to screw up another day. Two things worked for the Democrats who were helpless on policy. First, the election denier thing, and second, abortion. Those items overshadowed inflation, violent crime, border chaos in the minds of millions of independent voters. Almost impossible to believe, but it is true. So now we, the people, will have to endure more incompetence from the escape artist who believes he's doing a heck of a job. And know this, Biden supporters, help is not on the way. That is the morning O'Reilly update. More analysis later on. If you know of a veteran that should be honored, go to WABCRadio.com now to sign up for an exclusive 77 WABC Supports Our Troops ribbon. 77 WABC honors our veterans on Veterans Day and every day. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Rudy Giuliani will join me next. The man 
You know, before Eric Adams joined me and Danielle Padino last night, he had uh, a very busy day, and he started off, which I told him not to do again, but he won't listen to me, on that um, swill, that uh, horrible television show, Joe and Mika and Al Sharpton. I, mean, I did say to McCullough, I said, I said, hey, do yourself a favor, Eric. Stop calling yourself the Biden of Brooklyn. He said, okay, you got it. And stop going on that awful television show, which he won't do. He'll keep going on. But uh, for what it's worth, he did take Kathy Hochul and the left to task. Again, for what it's worth, you make up your own mind. I'm not here to sway you one way or the other. And I'm not swayed, just so you know. One dinner doesn't change my mind on um, months and months of uh, running this city, just so you know, okay? Um, I'm not a knee-jerk type of guy. I need more time. I need more dinners. I need to figure out exactly what's going on. But he did talk on Morning Joe about crime, specifically about subway crime. You can play this. Um, this is uh, Lou Rufino, Eric Adams, number 20. Again, courtesy of that swill, MSNBC, and those two idiots, Joe and Mika. Here's Eric Adams yesterday morning. We, we have to not talk at people, but talk with people. And I'm on the subway system every day. Right. Just about, you know, I, I walk down and I want to see the subway system. And I'm engaging with people one-on-one. And our conversation cannot be, I'm going to dictate to you how you feel. Mm-hmm. I need to ask you how you feel. Right. I need to govern to that. And I believe that's what the problem is. We have a double-digit decrease in homicides, double-digit decrease in shootings, something that I wanted to focus since, on. Since, since when? From, from January, comparing to um, okay. last year. But what does that mean to a mother who just lost a loved one right. through gun violence? Or if you sat in the classroom and someone carried a gun inside the classroom, uh, that means nothing. And the goal is to speak directly to voters and find out what are you feeling, and I must deal with the actual and how you feel. He also talked about the issue with the homeless, specifically the homeless on the subway, and he really intimated, if not flat out said, that New York has never really cared. Here's Eric Adams, cut number 21. We never took care of homeless. <laughs> this is a generational problem, and we listened to the narrative of the loudest when I went into the subway system and said that we're not going to allow people to live in an undignified way in the subway system. I'm right. not going to allow the encampments. The loudest attacked me, but we were able to get 2,000 people off the subway system into some type of housing. There he is, Mayor Eric Adams, courtesy of MSNBC. From one mayor to another, the greatest ever. Rudy Giuliani, coming up next. Bernard McGurk. Unacceptable is throwing your beer can on the subway tracks. <laughs> Sid Rosenberg. I don't believe it's a three-man race. Bernie and Sid in the morning. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Diamond, 
Lincoln High School graduate like my father. The late great Harvey Rosenberg also went to Lincoln. My mother went to Madison. It is 744 on your Veterans Day Friday. Happy Veterans Day. We spoke to a great guy. Chapter 126, Vietnam Vets of America. I'll be marching with them today at the parade. Fred Gorsher at uh, 645. More guests to come on this special day. But, of course, you folks all know I had dinner, me and my beautiful wife, Danielle, with the current mayor of New York City. Despite our differences, we had a really good dinner last night, Eric Adams. And Rudy Giuliani's name came up. Uh, Surprising? Maybe, maybe not. Um, Everybody knows, of course, that I think Rudy is the greatest mayor of all time, but that's easy. Everybody knows that. Now, of course, he's a star on this station, 3 o'clock every weekday, and his son, Andrew, has become one of my best buddies. Here he is, America's mayor, my dear friend, Rudy Giuliani. Good morning, Rudy. Sid, how are you? That I'm was great. quite a dinner. It was quite a dinner. So <laughs> here's how it goes. So at one point in the dinner last night, Rudy, Eric Adams goes, the mayor, he goes, uh, you know, I was talking to Bill Bratton last week. I said, stop right there. He goes, what? I go, I know who you talked to. I said, Mayor, can you give me any reasonable explanation why you talk to all these people and yet the greatest mayor in this city's history, Rudy Giuliani, you don't talk to? How does that make sense? And I swear to you, Danielle's my witness. He goes, I would love to. He said, Sid, I swear. He goes, he goes, Sid, if you set it up, you tell me where and when I would love to sit with Rudy Giuliani. I said, I'll tell you what, Rudy's on tomorrow. I'm going to talk to the mayor, and we'll set it up for next week. Sid, you tell me where and when, and I'm there. I am going to put together Mayor Eric Adams and Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and it's going to be epic. What do you think? I think, first of all, I think it's a great idea. You always have to hope that, uh, you know, you could reach agreement, and we can we can move to a, a position where, a crime becomes uh, more central, and he starts bringing it down. I mean, I actually uh, felt he might do that when he first got elected. I was yeah. I was one of those people who was hopeful and then was very sadly disappointed with the 30% increase in crime, subway. But I'd love to talk to him about it and uh, see no reason why we shouldn't do it. I think it's a, a great idea uh, that you had, Sid. Well, I think it's That's a great idea, too. People I mean, should always— yeah. People should always talk. What, what what can you lose by talking? Nothing. Maybe it, maybe uh, maybe there's a a breakthrough or a change or we can help the city. Well, here's maybe the thing. A, this is my opinion. My opinion, Rudy, is is uh, from what I know of Eric, and I've met with him a couple of times. Now, last night was a very social, nice time. It was. Yeah. My opinion is he really wants to fix it. I don't think Bill De Blasio cared. I think this guy, he may not be capable, but he wants to fix it. You I, did fix it. First of all, no, he's not Bill de Blasio uh, for a whole host of reasons we don't have to go into. Uh, why wouldn't he want to fix it? I mean, then he's a success. I mean, look, um, d- despite our political differences, we both define success correctly. It's a question of how to get there, right. which is he's a successful mayor if he creates a, a, a safe city out of one that he inherited that was headed, you know, to the dump heap. And if he doesn't, he's, a, he's an unsuccessful mayor, no matter what the spin now is. So he's, a, he's an intelligent man. He realizes he has to get there. The question is, can he? I mean, my, my observation has been he gets influenced too much by the left. He comes up with the right idea, 
And then it gets criticized internally by the left, and then it likes the uh, anti-crime unit. The anti-crime unit was a creation of Bill Bratton, uh, Jack Maple, and me. And I can tell you the whole history of it, but um, it was uh, it did many more things than just take guns, for example. The anti-crime unit straightened out Broadway in about four months. It only took four months by using horses that spotted the, uh, uh, the people in the crowd who were grabbing wallets and, and uh, purses and banging people over the head, much like we have now, except more. We, we put horses up there. We put plainclothes guys in the crowd. We hooked them up with <laughs> what would now be old-fashioned walkie-talkies. And within four months, we had the darn thing cleaned out. I mean, it just, it just changed, and we went from 5,000, 5 million people coming to, Wall, uh, coming to uh, Broadway to 20 million. Hmm. Think of the revenue for the city. Wow. And that, wow. That, came about by, that came about by spending time thinking about the problem. <laughs> and then when people would criticize, saying, look, we spent a lot of time thinking about that. You haven't. Give us a chance. I mean, when I, when I, when I first said that people on welfare – had to work, I was ripped apart by the New York Times. Ripped apart. I mean, allegations of racism and uh, illusions that I was running uh, some kind of plantation. By the way, it's the thing that I get complimented the most for when I meet minorities, even more than crime. You walk down the street with me sometime, and you can see the reaction. A minority will come up to me and say, Mr. Mayor, you made me work. It was the best thing that ever mm. happened. Yep. No. Now, you know. You, yeah. you know that. You, yep. you. You and I know that that the work ethic is the key to the way out of poverty. And what I was trying to do is give people the work ethic. Yep. Not just throw them off welfare. I. I you can do that anytime. Throw them off welfare and then have my welfare workers find them a job. These are all things you can do, but you're going to get criticized bitterly for it. I mean, the thing, the city is going down. Therefore, the city is doing things wrong. There are constituencies that support the city doing it wrong. So if you take it on, if you're a reformer, you've got to be ready to listen to the people who say, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You've got to be, you've got to be gutsy enough to say the hell with that. I'm going forward with it. That's, that's the, if he has that. He could be a really good mayor. You know, he, he said to, he, well, he said to me last night, I said, uh, Mayor Adams, I said, you know, one of the frustrations for me and for Bernie when he was here, God rest his soul, and others is that when you left Albany and they refused to really talk to you, Stuart Cousins and Heasty, we didn't feel like you were angry enough. He said, Sid, Sid, let me explain something to you. He said, if crime was the only issue, he goes, we all agree it's the biggest issue, biggest issue. But if crime was the only issue, he said, I would have set Albany on fire. He said, but Sid, I need money for a million other things, education, transportation, bills, blah, blah, blah. And he said, if I blow those bastards up in Albany, they're not going to give me anything. And when he said it to me, it kind of made some sense. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. If you blow them up, you're going to own them. You're going to own them. Think of Ronald Reagan, right? Ronald Reagan passed one of the largest tax reductions. Trump would say his was larger. It's arguable. But one of the biggest tax reductions, and he did it with the Democratic uh, House and Senate. How did he do that? He blew them up. 
and then he owned them. He, he pitted his popularity against theirs, and he won. So if you win the first battle, you're going to win. The, the, the only way to get that passed is to go to the people. He's got to be willing to be Ronald Reagan. He's got to go to the people because these people aren't going to vote for it just by blowing them up. Right. You've got to go, you've got to, go to the people in their districts. You've got to have a campaign where you, you, you locate the key people, and you put them in fear of losing their jobs. A mayor can do that. Everybody in that district probably knows the mayor more than they know the, 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 the assemblyman or the state senator. And if the, if the mayor of their party comes there and says, these are the people that are the key to your getting banged in the head every night, believe me, that's very powerful. But it's a lot of work. It's really, really tough. I, I, I worked for Ronald Reagan during the period of time that he did that, and I saw how he organized it. And it was a single-minded effort. The minute he won that, the rest of it was easy. He owned them. Yeah. They knew any time yep. he wanted to take his political capital and use it against them, they either were going to lose or it was going to cost them a lot of money. See, I have to tell that's you, this 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 is the type. The leader. That's right. how you become the leader of right. the city. This other, is the type of than, this is another the, politician. This is the type of advice that he needs to hear. Blow it up. Do what you sure. just said to me and the listening audience. You sit with uh, Mayor Adams and tell him that. And I'm telling you, he's going to listen. This is why I have to make this happen. It's going to happen next week. Giuliani and Adams. I've been happy to do it. I That's mean, it. I, I, done. I, I, done. I have, done. I, now, I do want to ask you one more I love, thing. I love the city, and it breaks my heart to see I know. where I it know. is. Yep. It breaks yep. my heart. Yep. So this is Veterans Day, and look, you, you were the mayor during the Congratulations. biggest— Congratulations. Yes. Thank you on my uh, the Vietnam vets are yeah, <laughs> acknowledging yeah, me. A, thank great. you. Yeah. So after 9-11— uh, we started this war in Iraq uh, the year after, really, later on that year, and it lasted a very, very long time. Right. And after, after, after a little time in Afghanistan. Right, exactly. We, we went to Iraq. Right. And that was a that was a bipartisan thing. Almost everybody said, let's do it, except for Bernie and maybe five other people. And it turned out to be a big mistake. I don't remember, Rudy, back then when Bush 43 decided to do that, were you, because you had been right in the middle of the terrorist attack, you had to be all for it? I, I don't remember. What was the situation? I was. Yeah. No, no, I was. I was off of both. Afghanistan, uh, I, was a little, I was a little less supportive of Iraq, but I was supportive of Iraq. I mean, I, I had, the, the, but not, not for the reasons that happened, more for should we stay in, should we wait a little and get the job done in Afghanistan a little better first? I, I mean, I would have supported it six months later, maybe. But the only reservation I had was uh, we take – I mean, I believe in getting a job done when you've got, when you got your eye on the ball. And I, I can go into my crime strategy also where the city made the mistake of getting the job half done and declaring victory and walking out for years against narcotics. And uh, there's a very big meeting between me and both Jack and, and Bill, and they give me a plan that's very much like that plan, like bells and whistles, and uh, we're going to – take down crime in Brooklyn. And then I said, what are we going to do after that? Because it's going to move to the Bronx. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And you're right. I said, guys, I've been at a much higher level of doing this than you have, <laughs> and, uh, which used to annoy the hell out of them. And I said, I'm, I'm going to reject this plan. And you're going to come back to me with one that tells me what do I do after? How do I, how do I 
keep Brooklyn safe after I made it safe, but take away enough cops so I can get the Bronx safe. And how many more cops do I need to do that? So you got to get the job. I felt that Afghanistan wasn't quite done. But I did support it. I thought there were weapons of mass destruction. I was told that. We all did. Right. You did. Right. And why the heck, why would we have this maniac? I have have a real fear. It comes from Reagan. Reagan used to say, the greatest danger in this mutually assured destruction is we're depending on people's sanity. A a maniac gets his his hand on a button and we're all gone. Yep. How is that to live? So I conceived of Saddam Hussein as a, a, a terrorist maniac. So, I, yeah, I did support the war. And I, I'm, I I still would support the war. I didn't support the way we handled after the war. We didn't have, the, the, we didn't have a follow-up plan to, to uh, fix the country. And for, for a country like ours that did that in Italy and Germany and Japan and made them into great friends, I have no idea why we so underestimated the mm-hmm. job of – regularized. We did a terrible job of that. Yep. No, we did. There's no question. We have to run. Uh, I'm going to call you later, get more yeah, details. Great. This is a great thing, Sid. It is? A great. You promise? Next week, I'm around. I'm around next week, week after, whatever, whatever, you, whatever, whenever you can get it done with his schedule, okay? Well, let, 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 let's shoot for next week before Thanksgiving. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Much better before. Okay. I will I'm call gonna, you later. Something like this. When something like this is in the wind, you jump on it and do it right away. All right. Well, I will take care of it. I'll call you tonight, okay? Yeah. All good right. Job. I love you, Rudy. Thank God you. Bless you. And, and congratulations. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. There he is. Rudy Giuliani's congratulating me. What is going on in my life? How did I do all this, Lou? How did it happen? What I have happened? No comment as of right now. <laughs> I'm making it happen, folks. Rudy and Eric. This is like this is almost like the the Jews and Arabs the treaty that. Uh, <laughs> yes, we got it. Yes. <laughs> All right, lots more to do, folks. A lot more guests. I'm looking forward to talking to Gordon Chang at 8:40 because he's always so uplifting. He's going to give you 10 reasons why the Chinese are going to kill every one of us in the next five years. Keep it right here. Two more hours. Happy Patrick's Day, folks. <laughs> When you're the 50,000-watt beacon of freedom, you take time to thank those who served on Veterans Day. They gave up everything for our country, for us. This is Emily Penko, general counsel here at 77 WABC. On behalf of John and Margot Katzmatidis and the WABC family, on this Veterans Day, we would like to thank our president, Chad Lopez, for serving our country, along with all the veterans on staff and around the world. The 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Chad really did serve. Like, Chad's like a real hero, all kidding aside. Chad Lopez, who I love like a brother, I really do. So I agree with Emily Pankow. Thank you, Emily. Congratulations. And thank you, Chad, for your service. Greg Kelly as well. Deb Valentine and Mike Garcia. I believe those are the four folks, at least according to Chris Libertini here at WABC, who has served us. But thank you for that. Well, I'm so excited about this Giuliani Adams thing. I, I can't even begin to tell you. And I got to wait for uh, the mayor to call me back to uh, make sure that's uh, done. But uh, Rudy said yes. So this is um, this could be great for our city. All kidding aside. All kidding aside. So it's exciting for me. I'm glad Eric, the mayor, agreed to it last night. 
I'm glad Rudy agreed to it this morning. And now um, I'll find a, a nice restaurant, and uh, the three of us will go out and, and uh, talk these things over, and we'll fix the city. Sid Rosenberg, Mayor Eric Adams, and would you, what do you mean no? What is, the, what is this pessimism? It's Veterans Day. I prefer to think of it as realism. And why don't you think the three of us could fix this city? Me, Rudy, and, and Mayor. I didn't say you couldn't. Well, you shook your head no and you laughed. I, I had uh, Whatever, high jerk. doubts about no, that's fine. I'll, I'll flat out say no. All You're right. not going to do that's that. That's fine. Both Here's what there's no doubt. There is no doubt that Bruce Mosler is a, a great guy. He's the chairman of Global Brokerage and the Veterans Initiative Program at Cashman Cushman, excuse me, Cushman and Wakefield. And I've been looking forward to talking to Bruce all morning long. I know he's also tight with Ken Fisher. Ken was on with me and Bernie quite a bit over the years. So with that said, Bruce, happy Veterans Day, buddy. How are you? Uh, it's great to be with you. And uh, what a day it is to remember those that have uh, put it all on the line for our country, those that have raised their hand in this nation's hour of need along the years. And when the question gets asked, as to who shall we send, who shall go for us, it's that half of the 1% that serve in the military that always step up, step forward in defense of our freedom to say, send me, I will go. So what a day, and it's so great to be with you on this incredible program. What a uh, Well, thank you for that, and what a great delivery by you right there, Bruce. Last year, uh, we did this show from the Intrepid. Over the years, I became very friendly with Bill White. I'm sure he's a good friend of yours. Absolutely. What a great, great patriot. He is a great patriot. In fact, I got to tell you a story. Years ago, it was Veterans Day, right after 9-11, Bruce. This story is unbelievable. And we're on the Intrepid doing the show. And um, Imus is on the phone with Tom Ridge, who had just been named head of Homeland Security. Right. Yes, sir. Right. So I I, I get a flash on my phone, Bruce, that a plane just crashed in Rockaway. So I lean yeah. over to Imus and I go, hey, Don, you may want to tell Tom Ridge, I think we're under attack again. This is two months after 9-11. So he, t- he told Tom Ridge about the plane crash. Tom Ridge hung up the phone abruptly. Thank God yeah. it turned out to be just mechanical difficulties. I mean, thank God a lot of people died, but it was not a terrorist attack. But that happened on the Intrepid right after 9-11. Is that nuts? That is Absolutely crazy, but let me tell you one other story about our beloved Intrepid, which I have the privilege of co-chairing with Ken Fisher, the perhaps first family of patriotism in this country. But but one other story. Post 9-11, the Intrepid became the de facto headquarters for the FBI, and so this is a ship that served in three different wars, became the Apollo recovery ship. Um, and once again served our nation post-9-11, a day of infamy that we should never, will never, ever forget when we came, as you just said, under attack. So she served one more time. Wow. What were the wars that she served in? Uh, well, of course, World War II. Right. Um, she, right. She served then. She served in the Korean conflict, and she served in the Vietnam conflict. How about that? And then she served again to recover our Apollo astronauts. Wow. I didn't realize that that ship had actually been through all those uh, all wars. A, a rich history for our beloved Intrepid. We consider her hallowed ground. Yeah. Now, I know Ken Fisher for years. He came out with me and Bernie Bruce and talked about yes. uh, what they do, all these the housing for the veterans, which is really unbelievable. Can you sure talk houses. specifically, Bruce, about what 
uh, Cushman and Wakefield do for the veterans in your initiative program? Yes, I'm delighted, and thank you for that question. Let sure. me just say this. The the importance of hiring our veterans cannot be underestimated. And as you've heard me say in the past, we do not hire our veterans out of charitable reasons. We hire them because we know that they outperform their peers. We hire them because we know they're proven leaders. We hire them because they know about teamwork, and we know that they are mission-driven. So when you hire a veteran, what you end up with is a talented person, oftentimes amongst the best educated and all the time someone who I mentioned before, I'll say again, outperform their peers. We have a duty of care, in my opinion, to give these young men and women after their service to this nation continued opportunity. And what they end up doing is improving your firm's bottom line. It's that simple. Cushman Waco is dedicated to this. We are now a top 10 employer as rated by the military-friendly brand. We've earned that ranking for years. Now, this is the first year we've become top 10, but we've earned that rankings because of our dedication to specific programs we, de- we develop on behalf of our veterans. We are extremely proud. We have 1,200 veterans at Cushman Wayfield, and we're adding about 600 a year. I will tell you that we must do better. I got to tell you, I love you, Bruce. <laughs> I mean, I never, I really do. I love you. And I'm going to well, do I love you. No, thank you. I'm going to do something for you right now that you're really going to love. So there's yes, only sir. five surviving quadruple amputees from the war in Afghanistan. Only five. And one of these gentlemen, a guy by the name of Travis Mills, was in studio with me months ago. This guy, I got to tell you, all he does is joke about no arms, no legs. You want to talk about a guy that is just an amazing spirit after what he went through. This guy, Travis Mills, again, one of just five men. How inspirational. And he's on the phone right now, Bruce. So I want you to be the first to say hello to Travis Mills. Bruce, say hello to Travis Mills. Travis, first and foremost, thank you for your service. God bless you. You're inspirational. Well, hey, good morning, Bruce. And thank you guys so much. I appreciate that. And I'll tell you, I uh, I thought 20 years was going to do it for me, but then I was like, early retirement looks so much easier, so I just walked into it. <laughs> you know, six years in, called it a day. But, uh, no, excited to be here, and thanks for taking time to talk to me today, gentlemen. Oh, that's great. Hey, Bruce, thank you so much for all that you do. You really are an thank American you. hero. Thank you for hopping on this program, and please come back more often. Really, thank you. God bless you. God bless America. Travis, have a great Veterans Day. Hey, you too, sir. Thank you. What a great guy. Wow, Bruce Moser. I love that guy. Travis, I love you, man. I You were here once, and then you didn't come back for a little while. And then Justin says, you know, Travis is writing a book. I go, well, this is great. He's writing a book. Of course he should write a book. This guy's funny. He's a hero. Yes, and he wants to put you in the book. I go, why would Travis Mills want to put me in his book? Well, the book's about resiliency. So sure enough, Travis, uh, your friend Kathy called me two days ago. And I'm beyond honored. I, I, I don't know what to say other than, my God, thank you, Travis. Well, no, thank you. You know, I appreciate the fact that you said yes. Um, you know, I, I'm always out there, and people wonder how I keep going with my injuries and how I make it through the day. And, and then I get to sit with you and talk to you about everything you went through, and I get to talk to other people what they went through. And I'm like, we all have different problems and struggles in life. Um, but for some reason, we've been able to get through them. And I want to harness all of that and show people no matter what you're facing, whether it's a car accident, an explosion, addiction, um, a loss of a loved one, you know, there's ways to cope, understand, and, and deal with it and get better. 
Um, and you know, I just I'm just honored that you uh, you take the time and said yes, and you know oh we're having God. a great time. I'm I'm in Cleveland today at okay. a fundraiser for my foundation, and and we're just uh, we're just doing doing big things. You and me just hanging out today. <laughs> I can't believe that uh, you've done this for me. I I don't know what to say. Thank you. I know your tenth uh, alive day is celebrating, like you just said, in Cleveland today. I know Gary Sinise is a good buddy of yours, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is Discovery Plus doing a whole thing on you, which does include footage of your days in Afghanistan? Yeah, so I appreciate you bringing it up. Discovery Plus last night at midnight launched a documentary, and they have a documentary series called Hi, I'm, and then they put the name of the person. So the Hi, I'm Travis just dropped today on wow. Discovery Plus, wow. and it's getting pretty good reviews already, which I appreciate. People stayed up till midnight to watch their, you know, close friends and supporters of mine, and um yeah, I just put a post up on my uh, Facebook page and Instagram page at SSG Travis Mills to show people how to get there. But, uh, you know, just so lucky that we have people that believe in us and want to share my story and help me give back and do good in the world. And, you know, believe it or not, I started a clothing line called Rebel for Good. And um, it's all about, hey, we might disagree on, on small things, but we agree on more than we disagree on. We can all be rebels for good. We can all do good in the world and give back and, and make the world a better place. You are just an incredible human being. My God. Hey, Travis, I, I hate to do this, but it's obligatory. You do understand that. Taking you guys back to that day, that day, in fact, uh, when this happened to you. But I almost don't feel terrible doing it with you because I don't know how you've done it, but you have. You've been able to take this awfully tragic experience and make this work for you somehow. I don't know how, but uh, take us back to that day. Where were you in Afghanistan? What were you doing when, in fact, your life changed? Yeah, so I was on my third deployment to Afghanistan with the 82nd Airborne Division. I was, you know, on a patrol, which is pretty normal, and I put my backpack on the ground, and it landed on a bomb. And my world changed drastically that day on April 10th of 2012, and uh, it resulted in me losing both arms both legs. Um, I did 19 months of recovery at Walter Reed, and in the beginning of it, you know, I questioned even why I lived through my injuries. How was this going to be better? I told my wife she should leave me. And we had a six-month-old little girl. That and, and, and by the I way, had. and you were serious. When you told your wife that, because we had the discussion before, you loved yeah. her. You loved her. But you were serious about that. You're like, go go get a, a, a real guy, basically, right? Well, yeah. It didn't seem like I had much left to give. And I was basically a 25-year-old baby at the time. Um, mm. Had to get fed and dressed and help use the restroom. And, you know, what was I, what was I going to offer anybody? And um, I told her any money and cars, say, you know, and, and savings we had was all hers. Um in the house, but uh, she stayed on my side, and that's a true testament how amazing she is. And then mm. my daughter was, my, you know, she's still my best friend. She's 11, and we have another child, our son. He's five, and we named him after the medics, Daniel and Alexander, because they made it possible for me to live and make it back home to have another kid. So his name is Dax. You know, we, we live in Maine. We have the Travis Mills Foundation, which is doing very well. And uh, I'm just, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just lucky to be alive. And I think you know, with the things you've been through, you probably sometimes look at it and say, I'm just lucky that I made it through. You well, know, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it is true. And there were times where I could have easily OD'd. I mean, you look at the fentanyl oh, these days. I did cocaine a million times. I could have died. But the difference is, and I appreciate you putting me in that class, I don't belong there because I did that to myself. Now, yes, I have an addiction issue that becomes a disease. But the first time I did one of those drugs, that was a choice. You did not choose to go through what you went through. So I, I feel real guilty being in the same mm. sentence as you. But thank you for doing that. I've got more good news for you. Just when you think there couldn't be more good news, it turns out I just received a phone call, Travis, and not only would this special be on Discovery and Magnolia, but guess what? 
HBO Max call this morning. You're going to be on HBO, my friend. I was. Uh, I heard rumors that it might be on other platforms that it could tell me anything, and I appreciate that. HBO Max. I mean, anywhere that makes me more popular and and really talks about me is what I care about because I'm all about me. Um, <laughs> but no, no, I'm kidding. No, that's great. That's great, and I and I do appreciate that. You know. Um, I'm really excited that we can share uh, this documentary because it showcases the foundation and the work that we do there. And it helps people understand, like, you know what? We all struggle, and it's how we struggle, and and, and it's how to get over and through and around or any obstacle that's out there. And, you know, yes, I got blown up in Afghanistan, but we all have things that we go through, you know? And um, my story hopefully resonates with everybody, not just military. Just like your story resonates with people, and and I, and I know you, you said it's your choice, but at the same time, like you also had to make a choice to get better. Uh, not everybody that gets injured or True. goes through what I went through is is the same attitude as me, or the same, you know what I mean. And I try yeah. to instill yep. that in people. You know, I'm just blessed that I made it back home. A lot of my friends didn't, and um, that's that's just the truth of it. You know, I, I had the opportunity to live through my injuries, and I, I'm gonna make most of it every single day um, for as long as I live. I feel like you should be even more famous. I don't know. Like, you're a great-looking guy. You've got this great outlook. You're incredibly confident and incredibly positive after all this. I feel like you should be even more. I know you don't care necessarily. Maybe you do. I don't know. But, I, like, we, we spent time talking about Chris Kyle, God rest his soul, and make movies about Chris Kyle and the sniper and all that. But I feel like, Travis, and I speak to a lot of guys like you. Johnny Jones has been on the show. I know yeah. you, you know Johnny very well. Um, I don't know anybody who's got the, uh, the spirit, the guiding light, the heart uh, that you have. You just, you amaze me. This is the second time you're on with me, and, and I love you more every time. You're just an amazing individual. It's, it's unbelievable. Really well, I appreciate that. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work on something. Maybe uh, work on a little bit of a reality TV show um, designed around showcasing people that are uh, doing good in the world, and, and I have a crazy life where, you know, I, I just now take opportunities. I just opened a restaurant uh, really? Buddies in January. Yeah, it's going really well. It's called the White Duck Brew Pub up in Maine, and uh, we're putting a brewery in soon. And, uh, you know, I just th- – th- at the end of the day, if I can help give back to veterans, my foundation, we're fortunate to have people support us and, and believe in our mission of giving back to these veterans that sacrificed and served and their families. That's a big difference of what we do compared to a lot of other places. And, um, you know, I don't take a dime of it. I'm never going to pay myself as a president and founder. I'll never take a salary. And it's all about giving back. So I, I've been blessed with other uh, businesses that I've been able to do. And at the end of the day, there is people that support me and, and build me up. And even though it says Travis Mills Foundation, there is an army, a whole slew of people mm-hmm. around this nation mm-hmm. and at the office and, you know, that help me and push me forward and, and help get back to these families. So, hey, I'm just lucky. At the end of the day, I'm just a lucky guy. No, 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 chance to give no. Back. We are lucky. We are lucky that you survived and you provide this hope and strength for all of us, uh, including me, every day. So I wish you nothing but the best of luck in Cleveland. I'm thrilled for you. The book, the TV show, the restaurant, maybe the new reality show. And I would hope you get to New York very soon and come in and see me, pal, because uh, I got to tell you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I love you, bro. Well, hey, I appreciate you. Love you, too. You guys have a great day, and thank you for the time. You really, too, really Travis. Enjoyed this. Thank you. Oh, me okay. too, man. Thank you. Stay well, okay, buddy? Yes, sir. You too. My <laughs> man, Travis Mills. I don't know. <laughs> Everything seems insignificant now. Right, right? Right? But he's really like that. Like, this is not an act. He was in the studio with me one day, and he was on for about 10 minutes, and all he did was joke about all of his issues, and... He's got a gorgeous wife, gorgeous, beautiful uh, family. He's a good-looking guy. He's a very good-looking guy, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's...
You might have to think <laughs> I mean, about everything, man, after you right? meet a guy like that. Right? Yep. <laughs> That's uh, Everything is dwarfed by somebody like that. Folks, his name is Travis Mills, and um, he's a real American hero. And, and Bruce Moser was great, too. He was terrific. That was a really uh, fine segment. A lot more still to come, including Gordon Chang and Colonel Jack Jacobs. A long time, I'm his favorite, Bernie and Sid favorite. He'll be here, too. I'm glad you're here on this special day, Veterans Day, as only the Katsimatidis family does it, right here on 77 WABC. God bless you, Travis. This is the 77 WABC Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Wall Street coming off its biggest rally in two years. Cooler than forecast inflation data since stocks soaring. The Dow Jones Industrials up 1,200 points on the day. The S&P posting its largest single session increase since 2020. And mortgage interest rates back below 7%. The average rate on a 30-year fix fell 60 basis points after yesterday's inflation update. The sharpest intraday decline since the start of the pandemic. The latest consumer survey from the University of Michigan comes today. Last month, consumer confidence ticked slightly higher despite economic concerns. Wall Street targeting another modest increase on the index. More top Twitter executives fleeing the company and not just those fired by Elon Musk. Three of the latest exits are all in the company's security division. The Federal Trade Commission says it's monitoring the situation at Twitter closely. Please join me several times each weekday right here on 77 WABC. This is the the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Keep listening for more to 77 WABC for the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. This is Lydia Reports on 77 WABC. Here's Lydia Serrani. This report is sponsored by the Seafire Grill. Sid, crime on the subways, it continues to spiral out of control. And A woman, an MTA worker, she was brutalized in a subway pipe beating. It was a random attack during the AM rush hour. I mean, you should see this, this, this older woman, her face just completely all bruised up and swollen. Yesterday during rush hour in the evening on the 6th train in the Bronx, a guy was stabbed. Thank God he's going to be okay. But adding insult to injury, Governor Hochul is not slamming the brakes on this congestion tax, which would cost drivers at least 23 bucks a day to drive into midtown Manhattan. The tax raised by drivers would supposedly subsidize a constantly cash-strapped MTA. But let me tell you, if Hochul wants more cash for the MTA, all she has to do is make people actually pay the fare. So yesterday I got this video at 125th Street Harlem subway station and and said not a single person paid the fare. They right. just casually walked right through right. the door. And guess what? There were four cops standing by watching this all go down. And I'm sure those four cops are part of the 1,200 cops on overtime that they put in the subway to help with the crime. Hello? These people were all committing a crime. So why why should drivers like me or that has to drive their mom or dad in for a hospital appointment and, you know, or say you or well, who, because you're, you're more fancy than me. You go to like Fresco's, Moscato, you know, into midtown, you're going to take a cab and all these things. <laughs> why, why should we have to pay? Because they don't want to enforce the fare. Because why? She, she thinks these people are potential voters. 
and then she wants to buy their votes. Yeah. Maybe that's why 70 percent of New Yorkers voted for her, because they know she's going to give them handouts and then suckers like me have to pay for it. It's true. I get angry. Like, you know, I, I take the subway every day and people say, well, that's just a minor crime. But wait a second. I don't care how much money I've got or don't have for that matter. People have no idea how much I make. I probably make less than they think I do, to be honest. But if I'm going to pay for this thing, which is $127 a month, by the way, that's not cheap to take the subway. I don't want to see some punk kid jump over the turnstile. I'm like, hey, you. And they always look at me like, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, I'm going to punch you across the face. Come back here and pay the damn fare like I just did. Like, I get really pissed off. Should I not? I know. I know, it's frustrating, and for the cops to just stand there, arrest the people. Like, that's why the MTA Yeah, but, but is, the cops going to arrest these people, and they're going to be know. out in 15 minutes, Lydia. I mean, come I on. Come and on. they've been demoralized. Right. I don't, blame the, I don't blame the cops. I honestly don't blame them. Would you Would you get involved? Remember that cop that got beat up by the kids? Yes. Because he, I yes. Mean, he, it's just, and, and they're not allowed to actually put any kind of pressure on, because of the diaphragm law. They can't even put any pressure on their on their chest, so then they're kind of wrestling with yeah, them. It's funny the you mentioned that. So I, ridiculous. I just had this argument with my wife a couple of days ago, and uh, about a month ago with Joe Tacopina on this show. When a cop and a bad guy get into a tussle, the bad guy's got no rules. He could do whatever he wants. He can bite. He can scratch. He can kick. He can punch. He can headlock. And the cop... This poor bastard, there's like nine things he can't do. What is, what is that? These guys are in a fight for their lives. Sometimes the bad guys try to grab their gun. Don't tell me you can't put the guy in a headlock because one fat bastard, Eric Garner, died. God rest his soul because he was 9,000 pounds with diabetes and heart problems. That's ridiculous. They should play by the same rules. If the bad guys can put me in a headlock, I could put him in a, in a headlock. No? And if you're... I couldn't agree more. And if you're fighting for your life, then you got to fight for your life. Right? It's, it's so ridiculous. But everybody out with their cell phones. But don't worry, don't worry. Said Congresswoman AOC says cops are not the answer. She she thinks cops should not be on the subway whatsoever. She thinks they're actually contributing to the problem on Idiot. the subway. She was with Charlemagne the God on the radio show The Breakfast Club. Take a listen to what she said about subway crime and cops. A lot of people think that crime is up. When we actually see that shootings are down, mm -hmm. when we see that huge indicators on, on the most violent crime in New York City is down, subway Lies. crime is up. Lies. But let's also note that subway crime is up after they committed so many more officers to the subway system. So that also tells us from a policy perspective. No, it doesn't. Adding more cops to the subway isn't solving this problem. Mm -hmm. So there are other things that can solve this problem. So she's saying that the crime went up only after. First of all, she's a liar because overall crime, violent crime, is up over almost over thirty percent. Well, she, she's not. Well, she's not completely lying because the truth is, gun shootings are down and homicides are down. So well, homicides it, are down, yes. right? So she's talking about those two specific crimes. She is right about that. Now she's not talking about rape and no, assault and battery. Overall crime. I don't think she said that. But either way, okay. either way, you're right. You know, adding more cops, it's gone up. All that nonsense. I'm not sure that's true. But the only way to combat it is to add more cops. Everybody knows that. Don't got to be a genius. She hates the police. That's the bottom line. She hates this country. She hates the police. She hates anything capital. She's just one of the worst, most evil people. Don't be confused by, you know, guys think she's cute. She is an evil, evil person. I think she's just ignorant. I don't want to say the word stupid. No, she's evil. No, she's, she's evil. I think she's just stupid. I think she's just a bartender that that's cute and knows how to dance. And uh, she just kind I, of I happened to run I, in a district I, I with her using her aunt's uh, apartment address. I, I don't think she's that stupid at all. I really I don't. She's, 
Because she has to be stupid. She has to be stupid. She's literally trying to destroy America. They want to empty the jails. All of these radical leftists. And we had Cuomo on last night. Again, the guy was making common sense. He said the moderate Democrats are being held no, hostage. No, that's fine. I don't care. Listen, listen. Uh, she's not stupid because somehow, I don't care what Cuomo says, uh, somehow this former bartender has everybody in that party scared to death. So you can say a lot of things about AOC. I don't think she's stupid. I think she's evil. She's agenda-driven. She hates this country. But you can, she has put herself in a position where the most powerful Democrats in this country are scared to death of her. I don't think she's stupid. Well, then they're stupid. Then they're stupid well, they to may be afraid be. of her because yeah. most Americans do not agree with her policies. I know we got to wrap this up. And maybe you could take Mayor Adams to the Seafire Grill because they have the best seafood. It's in Midtown Manhattan. You can go there for a romantic date night, just the two of you, you know, with your bold heads. No, right? no, 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 no. We, we did dinner last night. The next I dinner, right, the next dinner that I've set up now uh, is with me, Adams, and Woody Giuliani. Both men have agreed. Woody was on just about 20 minutes ago. This is a huge, huge thing to actually have dinner with Rudy and Mayor Adams. But uh, both guys have agreed Eric Adams last night, Booty on this show this morning to do it. That's going to happen next week. Well, that is going to be fantastic because Mayor Adams, he should take a lot of Rudy's advice because if anybody knows how to clean up New York City, it's Rudy Giuliani. But you can check out Seafire Grill. They have a great – it's very cozy and romantic, by the way, too. You can also go there for a private event. It's my favorite seafood choice in Manhattan, the SeafireGrill.com. 77 WABC proudly salutes our veterans. Radio 77 WABC. out to Gordon Chang and Jitam, <laughs> little China girl. Happy birthday to Nicole Maliotakis today. Happy birthday, Nicole, fresh off for a win over Max Rose. So what I wanted to do today was bring on guests to basically talk about uh, any one of these wars, being that it's Veterans Day. So we started at 645 with Fred Gassier, and once again, he is the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. And they bestowed me the honor of marching with them today, actually riding in a Jeep, at the Veterans Day Parade. So he talked Vietnam. Then we had um, Bruce and Travis Mills on together. Travis Mills, one of only five living quadruple amputees from Afghanistan. He joined us. And I wanted to talk Korean War. And whether you're talking about China or Korea, any one of these Asian countries. And by the way, Russia, any, any, anything outside the United States You'll be hard-pressed to find anybody, I mean anybody, more informed than Gordon Chang. 
Uh, I love him. He's, I got a healthy amount of respect. This guy knows his stuff. You can follow him, Gordon G. Chang, on Twitter. So here he is, Gordon Chang. Gordon, happy Veterans Day, pal. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you so much, Sid. Uh, you're welcome. I meant everything I said. You're, uh, you're really terrific. You're great. So the Korean War, 1950 to 1953. Tell us a little bit about uh, that war. And uh, now, you know, 60, excuse me, almost 70 years later, are we closer to the war ending or the war coming back, what we saw in the early 1950s? Yeah, the Korean War is not over. It, uh, fighting ended with an armistice, but there's never been a peace treaty. So the war continues. And the North Koreans actually act as if that's the case. Now, we call it the Forgotten War. And that's certainly true. In 2003, Time magazine actually ran a feature on the 80 most important days in its 80 years of publication. And not one of those days, Sid, related to the Korean War. Wow. But they did actually have the debut of Star Wars. (laughs) A fictional war. Really? Was remembered. And a war in which 36,600 Americans perished was completely forgotten. Okay, so right off the bat, that begs the easy question, why? I, I think it's because it, it wasn't a victorious war. It wasn't like World War One or World War Two, And also, I think that uh, there was uh, a lot of people in the United States would like to forget it because of the responsibility and the failure of American diplomacy. Those 36,600 American casualties were completely unnecessary. Um, Dean Acheson, who was a great Secretary of State, um, in 1950 actually publicly drew America's Western defense perimeter and did not include South Korea. That had consequences, Sid, because Kim Il-sung, the leader of North Korea, had for months been trying to persuade Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong um, to get permission to invade South Korea. Neither the Chinese nor the Soviet leader would give it because they felt that the, that the North Koreans would have to fight the Americans. As soon as Dean Acheson drew that defense perimeter that did not include the South, they gave him permission to invade. Hmm. Um, and so he, this was a war that was not necessary. Um, well, you know, but you could make I that think, you could make that argument. You know, after World War Two, uh, the five battles we've been in since. Okay. The Korean War, Vietnam, the initial Gulf War, which was the most successful, lasted like less than a year, and we did great there. And then Iraq and Afghanistan, if this was a football record, you would go like 1-4-1. and one, you know. So really, since World War II, just about every battle we've gotten into, you could have made the argument not necessary. Is that, is that fair to say? Absolutely fair to say. Take the Gulf War, the successful one. Um, again, this war was completely unnecessary. Saddam Hussein actually sat down with April Glaspie, our ambassador to his country, and um, the dictator asked, um, what would the United States do um, with regard to this Iraq-Kuwait controversy? And Glaspie, acting on instructions of the Secretary of State, said something, and this is almost a direct quote, we Americans do not have an interest in intra-Arab disputes. Eight days after that conversation, Sid, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And mm. what did we do? We, of course, defended Kuwait, just as we said we wouldn't defend South Korea, but that's exactly what we did. That was an unnecessary war. If you didn't have the Gulf War, you wouldn't have had the Iraq War and the debacle of that. 
So, yes, you're absolutely right. These were wars which were unnecessary. You know, you talk about how the war really, really hasn't ended in, uh, in Korea. And certainly with Kim Jong-un up there in the north, that's psycho. Anything is, is uh, possible. So what, what, what is the, the big difference between 1953 Korea and what is the most striking similarity? I guess the most striking similarity is that right now um, we have um, we could have prevented the Korean War uh, just with that simple um, statement from Dean Acheson. Um, we could end actually um, the Korean War now, and we have the power to do it. But we have political leaders, Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, who have chosen not to use American power. Now, the North Koreans can, if they want, to destroy the United States. They've got the power to do it. Um, and the only reason why we have a country is because Kim Jong-un wakes up in the morning and thinks it's not a good idea to destroy America. But, you know, Kim couldn't threaten the U.S. Uh, because, um, you know, he's got Chinese banks, Russian banks laundering money for him. Well, we can stop all. We can stop the flow of money by declaring those Chinese and Russian banks to be of primary money laundering concern under Section 311 of the Patriot Act. You know, if we were to do that, Kim wouldn't have money. No money, no missiles, no nukes, right. no army. Right. Um, yeah. This is our fault. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the Chinese and the Russians, and you were on just a couple of weeks ago, another great appearance. Right after Ping picked up his unprecedented third consecutive victory, he remains in power in China. And we talked about what he means to China and, and actually in more terrifying terms, what he means to the United States. Has anything happened over the last couple of weeks since he has cemented that position that has changed your opinion on, on anything moving forward between the United States and China? Yes. On Tuesday, um, Xi Jinping actually um, talked to his military. He said, prepare for war. We've heard that before. But he said something which was new. He said that the external situation for China was unstable and uncertain. Now, nobody's threatening China. So when a Chinese leader says something like that, it's unhinged, which means something is terribly wrong in China right now. Now, Xi Jinping is going to sit down with Biden on Monday. I don't expect very much to come out of that. Um, but nonetheless, we've got a China which is extremely dangerous right now. Can you even guess, uh, I don't know, throw something that uh, may be going on in China that is having Ping say something like that? Well, internally, um, China is certainly unstable and uncertain. And you have the Chinese people have just been pushed to the limit on the coronavirus lockdowns. And they're actually defying Communist Party. Oh, hold on a second. Are, are, are they still locked down in China still? Um, yes. Um, right now in Guangzhou, which is the capital of Guangdong province, which is the richest Chinese province, um, five million people are under lockdown orders. Okay. Um, this disease has spread throughout China and it jumps. You know, one day it's Wuhan, the other day it's Shanghai, next day it's Beijing. And so they still got this what they call the dynamic zero covid policy, which is basically draconian measures extremely draconian, to try to stop the spread of the disease. That reminds me, a couple of weeks ago, Anthony Fauci was doing kind of his exit interviews. You know, they all had him on, Gordon, uh, Stephanopoulos and all these folks, and they were treating him like he was 
some sort of hero. Uh, now, mind you, on this show, he's a villain. We think he's a very evil man who made millions and millions of dollars, knew about all this, and stood by making money as people died. Where do you stand on Fauci's exit? Yeah, Fauci, um, let, let's remember why we have COVID-19. In 2014, the Obama administration declared a moratorium on the federal funding of -of gain-of-function research. So what did Fauci do? He then funded gain-of-function research in China's labs, which basically are military-linked labs. Um, And then Fauci last year twice told Rand Paul, under penalties of perjury, that uh, he did not fund gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But, Sid, there are two public published papers from 2016 and 2017 by researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology describing gain-of-function research. And both of those papers specifically acknowledge receiving money from Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Fauci either lied or he didn't know what his NIH institute was doing. And that means, you know, I think he should be prosecuted for perjury because I'm sure he knew that he was lying under oath twice last year. Wow. Hey, I got to tell you, every time you're on, it's great. It really is, Gordon. Thank you so much. Uh, Talking about the Korean War, what's going on right now, Korea, China, all that stuff. It's really important. So thank you again for hopping on. Happy Veterans Day and God bless you, my friend. Well, God bless you, Sid. And just for all Americans, veterans, um, I just don't know what to say, but thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome, pal. There he is, Gordon Chang. Check him out, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. That's a smart man and a good man right there, Gordon Chang. You remember the great uh, Colonel Jack Jacobs Lewis? Love him. Been a while. Been a long while. Well, he's set to rejoin us coming up next hour. Fourth and final hour on this Happy Veterans Day edition. Sit in the morning here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Keep it right here with some more David Bowie. China Girl. Veterans of all branches, thank you for your sacrifice, your bravery, and the example you set for us all. 77 WABC honors our veterans on Veterans Day and every day. Talk Radio 77 WABC. You listen to me. We all have a destiny. Nothing just happens. It's all part of a plan. I should have died out there with my men, but now... I'm nothing but a cripple, a legless freak. Look, look, look at me. You see that? Do you know what it's like not to be able to use your legs? Yes, sir, I do. (laughs) Did you hear what I said? You cheated me. I had a destiny. I was supposed to die in the field with honor. That was my destiny, and you cheated me out of it. Lieutenant Dan there. Sorry. You think about what Gary Sinise has become now, the 
I mean, you talk about folks that help out veterans. You know, all my friends, for example, from The Sopranos, all those guys, James Gandolfini, God rest his soul, Tony Sirico, God rest his soul, those guys did a ton for Wounded Warriors, but I don't know of any celebrity that does more for the vets than Gary Sinise. And he was Lieutenant Dan, and that was him in that scene. Remember the part on New Year's Eve? When the girl, the girl uh, called uh, Tom Hanks like a tart or something, and he got all pissed off. He basically jumped out of his wheelchair, almost kicked that girl's ass. But I love Lieutenant Dan. Uh, <laughs> I'm always asked, even on this show, you've been here, the greatest movie of all time. And nine out of ten people will say The Godfather without even thinking to it. Godfather, Godfather, Godfather. First of all, I think Scott, uh, uh, Goodfellas was better, but who cares? Greatest movie of all time is Forrest Gump. Okay. The historical road you travel, the genius, how they figured out to get this guy. I mean, in those videos with Kennedy and Nixon, it looks like he's really, I don't know how they did it back then. It was amazing. Okay. It's a little far-fetched, but. No, it's not. (laughs) It's It's not far-fetched at all. It was genius. That he was there for all these events. Oh, 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 of course. That was far-fetched. Right. But it was genius the way they did it. And it was a a a beautiful love story. I mean. Him and uh, Robin Wright Penn, Ginny, and even Sally Field, his mother, was brilliant. God, it was a great movie. So I kept running just like Sid Soul <laughs> told me to. And that's how S happens, of course. Remember the T-shirt, S happens? Oh, that was... I, I, I remember that like it was a box of chocolates from Sid Rosenberg that I wouldn't eat if you paid me. That's not bad, by the way. Well, thank you. Can you do a Jack Jacobs impression? Uh, he's, that's tough. Yeah, that's it's tough. tough because he's yeah. just got that authority. He does. Well, he's listen, a, I mean, but I love him. He's, he's a real serious guy. Who, who can imitate him? He won the medal of honor. Uh, won it. Like you, like you won a basketball game. Excuse me. <laughs> I mean, I'm really an idiot. I'm a moron. He received the medal of honor. <laughs> and the winner of the three on three tournament. <laughs> right. Step forward. Cause know, he's a famous. hero from the Vietnam war. He's actually the second Vietnam vet that we're speaking to today. And he'd be proud to hear that me of all people who never served a second and everyone thought about serving a second, will be, in fact, hanging out with Chapter 126 of the Vietnam Vets of America at the parade today, where for some reason they're honoring me. Makes no sense, but it's true. Here he is, folks. I love this guy. I must love him. He's known me many times since. Colonel Jack Jacobs. Jack, it's Sid. How are you, buddy? Good morning, Sid. I'm great. As a matter of fact, you sound more like me than... than uh... <laughs> And I sound like anybody else. <laughs> we come from the same sort of background, right? Old New York City boys. Yeah, that's so right. It's, good, that's it's right. good to be with you, Sid. It's good to have you. I, I spoke to a gentleman earlier. His name is uh, Fred Gasor, and he is the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. And I'll be marching with those guys today uh, at the parade. And, you know, we talked a lot, uh, Colonel about how you guys were treated when you got back to America, specifically that war. You could talk about Korea, you could talk about the Gulf War, but for some reason, you guys in particular, Vietnam vets, were treated really shabbily when you returned home. Why do you think that was the case, and how angry were you about that? Well, it was the case. For most, most people were very badly treated. There's a number of reasons for that. I, I escaped a lot of that. I wound up staying in the Army, and so I spent the large majority of my time on military bases with other soldiers and didn't experience the kind of uh, approbation that the rest of the Vietnam veterans did when they came home, despite the fact that uh, most of them didn't volunteer. They were fighting a war they didn't want to fight. 
And that war was vastly unpopular almost from the very beginning. And the principal reason for that was was twofold. The, the military establishment and the government both had no handle whatsoever on what they were doing. They didn't start at the end and work backwards. They didn't decide what it was they were trying to accomplish and what things it would take in order to do that. Uh, both the military and civilian leaders in the government were were unskilled at using the military instrument of power in that environment. And the second thing was the draft. Uh, I'm a fan of of uh, universal service. I think if you're lucky enough to live in a free country, you owe it something in the form of service. But when you have a draft that is selective, where some people are chosen to serve and others for completely arbitrary and sometimes nonsensical reasons are not chosen, you open up a wide gulf between the people who are serving hmm. and those who yep. are being served. And, and, and nobody was very happy about it. They, both, both the people who were serving and the people who weren't served. And that's why you saw some of the mess that you did. Sid. That is a great point, Colonel. That is a great point. You know, last night, uh, my wife and I had dinner with uh, Mayor Eric Adams. And I've got a 13-year-old son. And he goes to a very expensive private school in New York City, Jack. And um, I, ch- I switched schools because he was actually, believe it or not, as a little white kid, experiencing racism. So I switched his school this year to a different school. And I said, son, in history class, what are you learning about in your new school? And he said, to be honest, Dad, much of the same. Civil rights. Every day, civil rights. And don't get me wrong. That's important. He should learn about that. But I'm like, have you ever been taught about, I don't know, the Holocaust, 9-11, Vietnam? And the answer was no. So my son, for example, has no idea why we even went to that war in the first place. But so for that whole generation who may be listening right now, what was the catalyst for us to go into that war in the first place? Yeah, well, ostensibly it was the, it, it was the, the announcement by the... Uh, by the North Vietnamese that they were going to take over the entire country. And, and they started working toward it. That There were the incidents in the Gulf of Tonkin, which people, historians say, was largely manufactured, which was then the impetus for the uh, Congress deciding that the president could do whatever he wanted with the military, with the military force. You had uh, General William Westmoreland, who looked great in the uniform and, and so on, had but he was not very skilled in the tactical and strategic use of the military instrument of power. And one thing after another, they got worse and worse. They, uh, you mentioned education. Uh, the the expensive school I went to was PS 83 in Queens, <laughs> yeah. Vernon Avenue. Yeah. And I got to tell you, education has changed dramatically since I went to school. I got a first-class education in New York City public schools. First class, I learned about everything. The dumbest guy in my class could read an article in the New York Times and and understand it. Uh, if you gave him a question to answer, he'd be able to write you an answer. And it, it wouldn't be Hemingway, but every sentence would have a subject and a predicate and a punctuation mark. And you can't get that out of people graduating from Harvard nowadays. Why? We've got a cri- we've got a crisis in education, and let's well, why, 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 do you, why do you think that's the that's the case? I agree with you. You're 100 percent right. In fact, I know for a fact I've got little kids. You're 100 percent right. But why? Why is that? Uh, we raised a generation of people who thought that uh, facts were unnecessary. Uh, the ability to communicate was unnecessary, and 
And uh, one of the things we needed to do was teach people how to get in touch with their feelings. And uh, we've wasted a lot of time uh, doing the latter and not enough of the former. And the result is that we've, we now have several generations who can't find their backsides with both hands. And, <laughs> well said. And we're not, and, and, and we're not going to be able to teach them that. No, no, we have to get serious about it. I agree. I agree. Colonel Jackson. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing that's happened as a result of that, too. A huge gap has now opened up there, too, between the people who know what the heck they're doing, which group is smaller than it used to be when I was young, and those who don't have a clue. And if you, if you want one explanation for, uh, for inequality in earning power, for inequality in success among adults, it's the crappy education that yep. people are getting in public yep. schools. Agreed. Hey, Colonel Jack, uh, there's been a lot of talk the last couple of years about the service and the type of folks that people want to see serving this country. I'm talking specifically about gay people, transgender people, uh, maybe women. I don't know. But it, it seems to be there's a lot of that going on, a lot of uh, what kind of person should or shouldn't serve. You get involved in those conversations? I, I don't usually, but I have an opinion. I think, and I, and I mentioned it before, I think everybody should serve. I think it's a mistake uh, that we, we, have, we have entrusted the defense of the country to a very small number of young men and women who are willing to do it. When I was young, I grew up in the projects in Long Island City. Everybody in the neighborhood, every household that made a contribution to the defense of the republic I had friends whose fathers were missing arms and legs, friends who had no fathers at all because they'd been killed in the Second World War. I do not remember encountering anybody whose father had not served. Everybody served. Everybody had served. And now we uh, decide that we're, we're going we're gonna to have just uh, – you don't have to do anything. Uh, your freedom – is going to be maintained by people you don't even know. Yeah, but Most let me ask you, you know, so do serving, not know anybody in your No, I know, but serving is one thing. But I need you to be honest with me here, Jack. Be, be honest with me. Serving is one thing, but if I put you back in Vietnam in one of those, you know, life or death battles and you're in a foxhole somewhere and uh, the person next to you is gay or transgender or female, are you going to feel as confident you're getting out of there as, uh, alive as if uh, it's a male? And I don't care if the answer is yes, it doesn't matter to me, but be honest, are you going to be as confident? Well, my, my, my rule of thumb is uh, the, the following question. How fast can you reload? I mean, that's all I care about. Right, right, and, right. And so if, if you know what you're doing, if you're going to take care of me so I can take care of you, if you recognize we're all in it together, like Benjamin Franklin said, if we don't hang together, we will surely hang separately. That's right. He if did that's say that. what's going to happen, yeah. I'm perfectly happy with it. I, I literally do want to see everybody, everybody in uniform for at least a short period of time so we at least have something in common. I do not want to, uh, to have a situation in which most Americans do not know anybody in uniform. And like I said, I don't care who the hell it is. Okay. As, lo- okay. as long as whoever it is can pull a pin on a hand grenade and reload weapon really okay. fast. 
Because I will tell you that uh, very smart people like my late partner, Bernie, who loved you, and he passed away back in October, which was a horrible tragedy. But Yeah, God bless him. Yeah, he, he would talk about our woke army not being great anymore. And I would bring on Gordon Chang, and I would disagree with Bernie. I'd say, oh, stop. Even if we are woke, we're still the most powerful army in the world. If, you know, if China ever, God forbid, decided to go you know, military with us, we would still win. Bernie was like, no, we wouldn't. we got a woke army. What do you think, our army well, right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a big difference between who serves, and like I said, I want everybody to serve, and what they're taught when they're what they what they're taught is important while they're serving. The only thing that uh, is worthwhile is in in a military establishment is having a force that can fight and defeat the enemy, to kill or capture the enemy by means of fire maneuver wars, secure terrain, and hold on to it, and and wokeness ain't going to do it. Wokeness will never do it. Teaching people how to work together by integrating their forces so that they can destroy the enemy, that's going to that's gonna work. Turning, turning the military establishment into a social experiment is an extremely bad idea, especially when so few people are serving. Uh, Bernie was absolutely right about that. You know, on the way out, Colonel Jack Jacobs, uh, decorated Colonel Jack Jacobs, by the way, received the Medal of Honor as just a, a super guy to own it for many, many years. Outside of that 15 minutes with Bush 41, that initial Gulf, Gulf War, you probably have to go back to World War II to talk about a victory for the United States. We've got the best, most powerful army in the world, but Vietnam was a disaster. No disrespect, sir. Uh, Korea was a disaster. Iraq, disaster. Afghanistan, a disaster. Why do you think the history in the last 50, 60 years has been so poor? Uh, there's a wide variety of reasons for it. One of them is that we don't want to fight foreign wars. We, we didn't. So, so instead of deciding that we're going to put all we possibly can into winning, um, we don't do that. We haven't done that um, since the Second World War. Uh, we have almost nobody in the uh, in the political realm who has any experience in the military, so they have very little idea what you can do with the military, what you cannot do with the military. Uh, a third reason is that politicians are incredibly unskilled at at recognizing how you can project your power. We've got military instrument of power, but we also have diplomatic and economic instruments of power, and very few people in positions of authority have been able to integrate the three of them so that the Americans, we Americans, can mm. achieve our uh, national strategic objectives. There are lots more reasons for that, too, but those are just a few of them. We, we, most people in positions of authority don't have a clue. And unless until we can get people elected and selected, who uh, we pick them because they know what they're doing, not because we like the, the cut of their suit or their right. dress or anything. Right. Until we do that, we're constantly going to be poorly served by people who make decisions. 30 seconds to go. Are you at all, um, I don't want to use the word nervous, but a lot of these like third world countries that all of a sudden Colonel Jack Jacobs have nuclear capabilities. I mean, whether, you know, Korea, these other Iran, who the hell even knows these days? I mean, it seems like everybody has a nuclear weapon. Is that something moving forward that we should all be very, very worried about? Yeah, it's, it's among the most dangerous things that can possibly be uh, confronting us is the proliferation of nuclear weapons and the countries with nuclear weapons who started out with nuclear weapons 
have done a really rotten job making sure that that technology doesn't spread to other countries. Now you get complete lunatics with nuclear weapons, and you have others who say, well, we're really scared about this, so we're going to get nuclear weapons too. Uh, North Korea with nuclear weapons, Saudi Arabia talking about getting nuclear weapons. The proliferation of nuclear weapons is among the most dangerous things in the world. You, um, I know it ended the war, obviously, and probably prevented a lot of folks from dying in Japan. But uh, over history, uh, over time now, you were a fan of dropping the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Oh, yeah, it was absolutely the right thing to do. You know, there's a time and a place for everything, and that was the right time and the place for it. What we should have done when we had developed nuclear weapons is a much better job of making sure that they didn't proliferate, and we, we did a rotten job of that, and that's why we have – that's one of the reasons we have the problem we have today. On the way out, for uh, folks that are listening on the way to the parade right now, we've got a huge audience here, Jack, as you know – Listening to you, a guy that served so proudly in Vietnam and, again, a decorated soldier, what's your message to the other folks who served, even considering serving? What's your message on this Veterans Day morning? Well, we need the best people we possibly can defending this republic of, what, 330, 335 million people. But for everybody else, this is Veterans Day. And if you haven't served, don't think about the young kids out there defending all of us right now, just today. You got to think about them 365 days a year. Do not forget the kids who are out there keeping us safe. Oh, that's a perfect message. Hey, it is great to catch up with you. You're uh, you're a great man, a hero. I always love talking to you. So keep coming by and happy Veterans Day, Colonel Jack Jacobs. You the man. Thank, thanks, Sid. Thanks for having me on the program. Of course, anytime. There he is, folks. Colonel Jack Jacobs on this Veterans Day, and that is a great guest. I love that guy. I'm talking to this guy for love a long time, right? You love him, right? Love him. Long time. Day one. Yeah, Colonel Jack Jacobs. All right. Oh, I love this song, too. Best of You, Foo Fighters. Now, that's a kick-ass band right there. Not, the, not Is it Best of You? My Hero. Excuse me. Is this a live version? I always make you play the live version from London, from Wembley, I think. But All right. Here it is, My Hero. Jack Jacobs is one of those guys. Foo Fighters on Veterans Day right here on Talk Radio 77. WABC. Bernard McGurk. Bernard has been a friend of mine for so long. And Sid, you too. Sid Rosenberg. Not good, great. Bernie and Sid in the morning. I love you guys. I listen to you every morning and walk around the house laughing my butt off. On the Red Apple Podcast Network.
American girls are the greatest. Are they the greatest? That's a great song, well, Tom Petty. I yes, miss because I'm here. So you, you think they're the greatest? Well, you never gone any place. God no. God no. As opposed to. I mean, I've been to Europe. I mean, the. Um, it's not even close. Okay. So what do you think? Bill well, thinks not. Close. When I when I was in Europe, all I could think was, "Wow, Americans are ugly." Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I. I, when I went to London the first time... Well, that's different. They are not the best. No, no, but here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Because that's what, I was, that's what I thought. Crooked teeth, you know, the whole thing. And I've been to London many times now. My daughter goes to college two hours away many times. Some really beautiful people there. And I've been to Paris a couple times. Some beautiful women. I've been to Italy. Some beautiful women. Yep. But I got to tell you, I totally disagree. Now, I have not been to Spain or Israel. Everybody tells me the same thing. The girls in Israel are yes. the most gorgeous. Yes. Sultry, green-eyed, just beautiful. And they walk around basically naked. Right. That's the, the attitude is the yeah. different thing. Right, right. That's what, that's that's what I'm hearing, too. It, right. It but but when, when, when I include the other ones, London, Italy, Paris, the place I've been to, and don't get me wrong, they're beautiful. I think American girls are hotter. I don't know, I don't know why. I mean... I guess that's sluttier, I guess. I don't I went know. To doesn't make you hotter, but Both Spain and Netherlands. Stupid here. It makes you more appealing. <laughs> and they're stupid here. They just, you know, they don't. Well, you know what it is? Americans are, are, um, Americans are fat. I'm not talking about the fatter ones. I'm talking about the... Well, I'm, I'm talking about the fatter ones. No, we are, we are the uh, heaviest country in the world. You know, we... All you have to do is go down to Disney World and oh, see them laying How are those around? rides still up? Oh, my God. It's a good point. There is nothing there worse. Is... Now, don't forget, I lived in Florida for 16 years, that so we a... had the annual pass. Oh. So my kids, it was a two-hour drive to Orlando. We would go there. I'm talking about, no exaggeration, six, seven times a year. And it was hot, and it was humid, and even with the fast pass, I had to wait an hour to go on a two-minute ride. And to see these fat people with their Northwestern sweatshirts on, eating turkey legs, (laughs) it was the most vile, disgusting thing I've been the grease all over their uh, face. It's a cross-section of America, you know. Uh, We think we we have it bad here, but apparently they only get, like, fatter down south, too. It's like like Texas, Texas is apparently... Not where I live. Where I lived in Boca, everybody there had uh, fake this, fake that. uh, Beautiful people. Beautiful people. Couldn't believe how fat... I saw people. Well, Disney, yeah. yeah but, but I got to tell you, like, here, here in Manhattan, I got to, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find pretty women anywhere in the country. Walking down no, they're Madison good, they're in the world, I should say. In the world. We're, you're also in, like, Manhattan, where it's, like, the hub of, like, you know, like, just, like, where all, like, no, the I models go. And hey, listen, listen. I, plus, they, they're, they're from rich other people. countries, too. They right. Come here. Some of them are. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, I remember when I first got syndicated in my radio career uh, with Scott Kaplan, 1999, he was syndicated by Sports Fan Radio Network, and then eventually Joel Hollander, Westwood One, and they had us on the crappiest markets in America. We weren't, you know, we were we were just starting up. We were on sixty-two markets. It was a big deal. We had Ontario by, right by Los Angeles. We had Kansas City. We had Vegas, but we had towns like Clarksville, Tennessee, La Crosse, Wisconsin, Abilene, Texas, and we did something called the Party with the People tour, where we went to visit all of our affiliates for three days. And did shows live from those cities. And I'm telling you, Scott and Sid were nobodies. When we landed in Clarksville, Tennessee, it was like the Beatles. And we did shows at a place called Gilligan's, which is the hot bar in Clarksville, Tennessee. And you would have thought you were at the Bronx Zoo. That's how just awful <laughs> these no, I, my girlfriend. We goes, went to a strip bar in Kentucky, which is right next oh to Clarksville, God. Tennessee. Oh, no. There was no teeth. Nobody had teeth. I mean, fat. 
They had like, <laughs> they had like the girls with like three kids. They had the scars across their stomach. From... Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. My girlfriend goes to to college in Western Pennsylvania, so I have to like haul myself there every so often and like yeah. i'm in like a gas station there and there's like 15 people and i could count the amount of teeth in the building on my fingers yeah well that, 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 that's fine who cares but the truth here the, the women are beautiful. <laughs> who needs to chew yeah listen you go, you go out like past west of like <laughs> well you could even go not if you go north in this state you know take a walk around you know monticello you know, or, go up there or, yeah. right well, go to Binghamton, not the college, but the, you know, the... Go to Syracuse. Yeah, go, go to Rochester. Oh, what do you think you're going to see there? Oh, it is, <laughs> I mean... It is dirt, Joe Dirt Central. Yeah. Oh, God. Some ugly people. Yeah. Fine. Not Who us. cares? All, you know, you, but, you know, the more I talk to you guys, the more I realize how shallow you both are. It's oh, very, very disappointing. Very me, disappointing. me, you, said, somebody said, brought it up. Said two days ago, you said you, you wouldn't... Uh, I don't, you don't understand how people don't vote for good-looking people. No, what I said was, well, I did say that, didn't I? No, you said exactly that. You yeah. can't backtrack. Everything we have is on record. This is all on record. I don't think you understand what on record means. Everything that we're saying right now is on record. No, he doesn't you're understand on because record. he'll tell you something that was off the record on the record. He'll yeah. say it on the air. Exactly. So he clearly doesn't That's know That's a what lie. I've never done that no, once. You've done I, it I, I have, we have that on the record, too. You, I can yeah. pull that in 15 minutes. <laughs> I have it written I have a time stamp that I've Plus, down. you've done it to me so many times, I just lost track. And I well, you know what? Anymore. In all honesty, the <laughs> top says, stop telling me. That's your fault. You're dumb enough to tell me something. Knowing for what it's going to be on the air 10 minutes later. And I do blame myself. There should be like a warning sign somewhere it's like do not tell Sid yeah. anything if you don't want it on the air because it's going to go blame on air. me hey listen i still haven't said anything on the air about the time he told me about uh um, oh, no no oh, that thing <laughs> well that's i'm waiting the it's thing with happen. the guy yeah that's a outside of i was only one guy he told me it was three when they set blondies on fire back in 2002 he had a run outside remember we that ran out. yeah we ran out yeah there's a guy with uh, three teeth that's right right and a four hundred dollar bill they never paid. <laughs> right. That somebody never paid. That's, somebody never that's paid. That's for sure, right? All oh, those are the good old days. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they, were, they weren't so for? good. Yeah. Well, today's been—I got to tell you—it's been a very uh, good show. The Travis Mills and Bruce Moser were great. Colonel Jack Jacobs was uh, was terrific. Uh, Rudy Giuliani—that was huge because if you guys don't know, uh, last night me and my beautiful wife Danielle went to dinner with Mayor Eric Adams. And uh, I brought it up to Eric. He, he was talking about Bill Bratton. I said, why wouldn't you sit down with Rudy Giuliani? And I expected him to say, why? Because he's blah, 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 something bad. And he said, well, I want to. He said, quote, Sid, you make it happen. You tell me when and where, and I'm there. And I said, Mr. Mayor, you got to understand. I talked to Rudy a couple times a week. He's on tomorrow. I'm going to tell him that. He goes, you tell him that. So Rudy came on this morning. I said, Rudy, what do you think about sitting down with the mayor? He said, what do you say? I would love that. I would love that. He'd be able to put their, you know, differences aside and sit down in an effort to work together and save this city. So this is going to happen, and it's going to happen because of me. Yeah. And only because wow. of me. That's it. Sure. Provide a path to way. Don't worry about that. I okay, like I fine. I told you you can't say that stuff anymore. I know, I know. I had to check this morning to make sure. Hey, listen, he's a pretty good story. He was dyslexic, he had his issues, got arrested, and now he's the mayor of New York City, so...
Everyone, everyone's got a good story. Everyone has a good story. Uh, you homeless well, guy. Well, yeah, what's your good story? Let me, you know, this guy again, dyslexic, went to jail. Now he's the mayor. What's, everybody has a good story. What's your good story? I want the to hear left this. side of my brain like doesn't work at all, and I, I'm still managed to have a job, and I, the people want me here every day, and I'm still getting paid. I think Fair I enough. haven't checked in like months. Fair, so. No, that's a good story. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Imagine if he gets the full side of it. Yeah. Full yeah. brain. You, goes. Got, you got me again. It's only Bill. dying more and more. You got me again. Like all right, shut up. I got to check traffic here. Nine thirty-eight on a Friday morning. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This song is in Forrest Gump. Greetings. Hey, what a revival. 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9222. Your favorite war movie on this uh, Veterans Day. Where's Phil? Macedonia Phil. Where did he go, that um, reprobate? I can go get him, Lieutenant Well, somebody's Dan. got... I can't see this uh, this this computer for the call screen. Oh. All for right. the best uh, war movie. Hang on. You're like, I ask... Yeah, you know, Bernie used to be good with this stuff because he'd bring up, you know, the, all these old movies that, uh, you know, nobody was alive to see anymore. But um, Frank Morano this morning was very Bernie-esque-like in that. Frank's like an old soul anyway. I, I like Frank Morano an awful lot. I really do. I think he's a very good talent. And you know that I don't uh, throw that word around a lot for other radio hosts. I think for the most part, uh, radio today is lousy. But he's really good. And I asked him about his face, and he, everything he, he said was like circa 1960, basically. I'm trying to remember, the, I guess, the first war movie I ever saw, or I should say, I remember, it's probably Apocalypse Now, I would guess. What, what, what year was that? In the 70s, right? Late 70s? Apocalypse Now? Yes, in the 70s, I think. Yeah. 1-800-848-9222. What, what's your favorite uh, war movie, Lewis? I still think Saving Private Ryan. Hard to argue that, right? Yeah, because it uh, encompasses like that in- insane World War II, how they got on the beach. Bro, that scene—not just the, the Normandy, the, the beach in the, in the beginning of the movie—but the scene when the Jewish kid takes the knife in the heart slowly from the German guy oh, at the end. Yeah, and that they could have whacked that guy, that, that that wussy guy, let him walk right down the stairs, and he came back and killed the Jew later. Yeah, that yeah. that scene as the knife is getting closer and closer to his chest, yeah, and you they, see the spit coming out. Yeah. It was brutal. Yeah, the guy that they were gonna walk and kill. Yeah, yeah. Back at the, uh, they let him go. Gun. Yeah, they let him go. Right. No. But then I think uh, Oppum kills him at the end. He does at the end, but 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 the Jews are already dead at that point. Uh, well, yeah. We, Who was Oppum? Was that uh, was that was the translator that? Uh, oh yes, very good. That how um, do you remember that? The name of the uh, you love I, that because I, I love the movie. I just, and I just saw it recently. Do you I watch think. it every year? No, it's on like eighty times. No, I know, a year. but certain people like like they make sure. Like I watch Year Without a Santa Claus every year. Uh, it's a great movie. That's my favorite one. <laughs> Heat miser, freeze snow, miser, snow miser, snow miser. I'm Mister Hundred. So I watch it every year. <laughs> I don't care if I miss Santa Claus is coming to town or Frosty Rudolph. I don't care if I miss Rudolph. I'm uh-huh. sick of that one. A stupid dentist and the abominable snowman. But I, I have to see Year Without a Santa Claus. It's a ritual for me. So there are certain people. Like Veterans Day, Memorial Day, they have to watch a certain movie. I tell you what movie was great too. For a guy that gets typecast as the quote unquote same character all the time, he was not in this movie. Tom Cruise, 
born on the 4th of July. Oh, that is a depressing. Oh, my. How depressing. Yeah, that's probably one of the more. That's why I couldn't watch it again after I saw it the first yeah, one, time. Yeah, like, one time's enough. It. And You're it's right. long, too. And it's, Very long. And it, yeah. whoa. Because he goes to Mexico, and what he's, a mess that is. And he's, it's a true, it's a true story. Yeah, Ron Kovac. Ron Kovac, yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, he was great, Tom Cruise, in that. He really was. Yeah. And that was, you're right, that was a very depressing... Oh, uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, war's not supposed to be happy, you I know. know that, I, you know, it's supposed to make you think and, and reflect, I think, and uh, be I guess. sad. <laughs> I mean, what war movie... I'll tell you how, you know, we haven't mentioned? Talking about Vietnam. You want a great war movie? I'll give you the actors right now, you'll get it right away. De Niro? Christopher Walken? Oh, yeah, it is a great... Uh, yes, Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter. It's I amazing. mean, the Russian roulette scene? How amazing is that scene? It's scary as hell. The guy that played Fredo in The Godfather is in that one. That, that was like his last movie. John I think. John Cassell. Yes, John very Cassel, good. Yeah. And Ooh. his girlfriend at the time was. Uh, it was Meryl Streep. Very good, Lewis. You know, John Cassell actually taught Pacino about acting. Correct. A lot. That's, yeah, that's he a was true the more of the yep. actor. Yeah. John Cassell. Was he a died a very young man of cancer. He was in yeah. his 40s, I think. Yeah, but well, he was, did he, he marry Streep or they were just, I know they were together, but I'm not sure if they got married. I, yeah. You got me on that one. Christopher Walken. That was before he killed uh, Natalie Wood, right? <laughs> Him and Robert Wagner. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. Here's a lady that, that was afraid of the water, didn't know how to swim, and she decides to jump off the boat and take a dinghy in the middle of the night in dark waters. And Wagner and Walken are still on the boat drinking a bunch of champagne. Yeah. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. That's worse than O.J. That was the original O.J. story, Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken. The only wood that won't float. That's very good, Natalie Wood. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've told that. I mean, yeah. Of course. It's funny, waiting. though. It's funny. Sure. Unless you're her, of course. I don't know. <laughs> right. I think it is funny. Unless you're her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good point. <laughs> but there's no question they killed her, I mean. And i tell you what, uh, John Katsimatidis, the other day, had uh, Bill Shatner on the show. And um, his wife is still floating in the pool. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, anybody want to tell me what happened there? To go boldly where no woman will ever go again. <laughs> she's still floating there. <laughs> Spock, she's floating. <laughs> and I don't know why. Uh, Bill Shatner. <laughs> there is, there is. You know, Eddie Scazzeri was like that, uh, WFAN. He would go to these uh, Star Trek conventions yeah. and he put Spock years on. He was like 44 years old. Well, I'm, like, he... I'm like, Eddie. Didn't, I mean, he, didn't he name one of the intramural basketball teams? Yeah, he did. A, a Kobayashi Maru, yeah, 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 from, <laughs> which yeah, was yeah. after a Star Trek episode. Like, the most obscure Star Trek reference you could make. I, and I thought he was kidding all those no. years. But he, no. So Frank Morano is the same, you know, he's the yeah. same thing. He's also a psycho. Yeah. Godfather I, and Star Trek freak. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to Well, Godfather, out. that's his real life. I mean, he, he had more mobsters at his wedding, Frank Morano, than, than uh, <laughs> Michael Corleone ever Michael had it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, you know, if you didn't do time, you couldn't even come to his wedding. I don't, I don't know how Joe Vitale got in. Hey, Frankie, best of wine. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Frankie. Yeah, yeah, If you shot Curtis Lee, will you sit at table A? <laughs> 
<laughs> if you want to shoot Curtis Lee, well, you sit at table B. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever's got the blanks, you guys sit over there. You're, whoever's done time. I heard the wedding was great. I'm sure it was. Very thick yeah. envelopes. Yeah. Right, we've got one more segment here's, to go. Here's something to get you started, Frankie. one 800 848 I know you're going to get into radio, but here you go. Just get w- yourself some drapes. Uh, WABC, we'll come back and uh, wrap up this uh, great week. Uh, keep it right here. Happy Veterans, everybody. Wrap it up shop after this. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Sing it, Ray. I'll be on with Brian Kilmeade. You can leave this running. At 11.30 this morning, so right here on ABC. Then I'll head to the Veterans Day Parade and march with the folks from Vietnam. All those great heroes. Hey, this was a great week of shows. Our guests were all terrific. Today was a wonderful day. Thank you, John Katz, Congratulations, Chad Lopez, Greg Kelly. Great service. Deb Valentine, Mike Garcia. Lou Rafino, what could I say, man? You're the best. You're the best. Great week. Macedonia Bill, tremendous. Justin Ellick, great. Deb Valentine, as good as it gets. A true pro right there. Frankie Diaz, Gnome Laden, the whole crew. Folks, have yourselves a safe and wonderful weekend. God willing, we'll all be back Monday morning at 6. Until then, from all of us to all of you, God bless you. God bless America. Happy Veterans Day. And as always... Good night, Bernard. When I was in school, we used to sing it something like this. Listen here. Oh, beautiful, spacious skies. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com